Hello team and welcome back to the Chase and Discomfort podcast. This is episode 32 and this week we sit down with Richard Marchant, who is the founder and co-owner of The Training Design, a brand new gym based functional fitness gym in Chelmsford, Essex over here in England. And also he is uh, the programmer of some serious workouts and a competitive CrossFit program and functional fitness program that also looks at uniquely styling programming to the athlete and it's not just a cookie cutter design so um we didn't delve too much into the training side of things more rich's background um but we did get into some of the nuggets of the, how this man has fought and trained and educated himself over the last 12 or so years and um yeah we get down deep with this one so i really hope you guys enjoy it reach out to us at i am chasing discomfort on Instagram to leave us some feedback, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to see or hear next. Um, as always, appreciate your support listening. Hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Chasing Discomfort podcast. I am super stoked to be sitting down today with Rich Marchant, who is the main man from the training design. But before we jump into Rich's journey, Rich, what does it mean to you to chase discomfort? And why? So, I think it's a it's a tricky one. So uh, you get a lot of them kind of um, kind of standard answers about chasing discomfort, but it is just about being uncomfortable. It's just about being kind of like developing yourself, and that's like any way from from exercise to to learning things. And it, it is just about yeah, it is just about the growth. It's a pretty standard answer, but it's it is just about growing. If you are, I think. Um, I fall into this category where I can definitely be, I can definitely be lazy, and I'm lucky. I get to a point when I know I'm being lazy, and um, and that's when you know you need to grow. But you have this kind of thing. I think we all have it really in us, where you get to a state of being overly lazy, and then you realise it, and then you go seeking for for something, and that's you growing, that's you finding something to push you on. And for me, it's kind of education in in the, the fitness industry or learning new movements or something like that it's all it's all a level of being discomfort and, and kind of learning new things and growing that, that's pretty simple for me yeah i love it I've, I've had this tagline for the last couple of years and it's for no one else other than me and it's fuck your excuses yeah i'm pretty sure right we're hardwired if you go back to you know like a, a couple of hundred thousand that we would hunt all day we would we would be sort of calories would not be as readily available as they are now and you know we wouldn't waste calories you wouldn't find a hunter gatherer on a treadmill in a gym you know in an air-conditioned gym their treadmill was the mountain that they was running up in their hunt a 50 kilometer hunt persistence hunt to kill their animal yeah you know they weren't doing weights they was carrying water back from the wells back to their village to make sure their kids didn't die of um you know so we've had to create We've had to create our own discomfort in a very comfortable world. Mm -hmm. And um, it just the, the bit that's coming to me is like on Friday, I knew I had to lift, but my brain is giving me every single excuse not to go out there. I was too hot. Oh, you've had a hard week. Take an extra rest day. Train double hard tomorrow. Yeah. And, and I had zero motivation to train. 
and I was like, this is the day I've got to pull my finger out my ass and get out there. And it, it wasn't the greatest session. Like, it was a shitty session. I missed a few lifts that I should now. But at, at the end of it, it was done. I felt better. And, yeah, it's just that fuck your excuses because we will always find out a way to protect ourselves against doing something hard. Um, so, yeah. It's so true. It's so, so true. I think a lot actually in the mornings at the moment, I'm obviously having very late nights at the moment, but very early mornings as well. And you get up and you're feeling smashed and you're like, oh my God, it's like half four in the morning. You've got to get up and get down the road and open the gym. Um, but then when you're in there, like that's a really uncomfortable thing, feeling knackered like that all the time. But then as soon as you're in there and people start rolling in and then you realize what you're there for. And it's like, that's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a real kind of satisfaction that comes from that little bit of discomfort and it, it makes you it makes you better for it. And before you know it, you feel hungry to get up at that time in the morning and go and open that gym and get people rolling in there. And yeah, it kind of gets your ball rolling, don't it? It kind of it just makes you grow, definitely. And by the way, congratulations on a beautiful gym. It's it's absolutely epic. Um, and it, it plays into my OCD massively because the attention to detail, you know, going down to the design on the shower doors, it's um it's a fabulous space um shout out your gym mate tell the people about it so it's called the training design it's in chelmsford um it's uh, i'm so pleased with it it's like like you said um it has been kind of it's a really really, a really weird thing for me that's that gym has been in my head for probably 12 years um and then it's there and i'm kind of stood in it and there's my logo on the wall and I'm literally standing in my dream looking at it thinking, oh my God, this has actually happened and, and this is this is where I'm at. And it's one of those rare things that as it has been in my head, it is, it's going to come out as it was in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a really rare thing because nothing comes out like that, but it actually has the, the, just where things are, what it looks like and the configuration of bits and bobs and yeah, that attention to detail, it's all come out and yeah, it's not... Uh, I'm sure we'll get into more of this down down the road, but it's not. I've not done this single-handedly, um, but I'm so so pleased with it. It's amazing. So visualization is real, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That has has been knocking around my head for so so long. Let's jump into your journey then. So, like, as a boy, was you active? Was you what sort of sports was you into when you was a young kid? So for me, it's all about the motorsport, um, motorbike racing um it that's a huge part of me and it's uh it's something you just cannot turn off um it's always been in me it's always gonna be in me so i was i wasn't a super active kid i don't think i was always okay at sports and i could kick a football and throw things around and i was always a kind of normal kid i didn't excel at anything but i knew from a really early age that i loved um i loved motorbikes that was like a, a huge thing i think I think my mum and dad got me and my brother a motorbike each, and I think I was a little over three years old, or not even three years old. Um, I don't know what they were thinking, <laughs> but um, I rode it at that age, and I had good balance and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was, I've just had this kind of tie towards motorcycle racing my whole life. I, so much so, it's really weird. I, t I told this story in front of a class the other day, and I don't really, um, I don't really know where it came. Uh, there was a certain song came on it. It kind of triggered a load of thoughts in my head. But I remember, I remember being 
two things. I remember being really young and my nan and granddad took me to the Royal Tournament up in London and we're sitting there and we're watching the show and the lights came down and it was pitch black and on the big screen there was a, it was like a, um, a promotional thing for the Royal Air Force and it was a, it was a plane diving through the valleys um, and I had no interest in the plane at all. That didn't, that didn't spark anything but it was the speed. I remember it being the first time in my life I felt speed or like the sensation of it and I didn't know what to do with myself I, I thought I thought I was going to cry I, it was really strange and I I loved it I remember being on the edge of my seat just wanting more and more and and I don't remember anything else about that day other than, other than that feeling and then a few years down the line uh, my dad took me to um, Donington Park I, I knew nothing really about bikes at this point um, he obviously wanted to go and watch the the GP of the time and so we went to Donington Park and I remember there's a part of the track called the Foggy S's and I, you kind of walk out this barn onto this part of the track and it's kind of a flip-flop chicane. And I remember coming out of this, this barn with my dad and there was a 250, I don't know who the rider was, but I now remember it being a 250cc GP bike came through this flip-flop chicane. And I remember seeing that oh, the, and the, the feeling. I, I even get it now talking. I The same thing, I, I felt like I wanted to, cry or squeeze something or I, it was crazy and to this day it still does it to me i just i just there's something in me that gets sparked by motorcycles has it always been road like uh, track bikes that you've been into or did you ever get into motocross yeah i've never really got into the motocross i've had a few blasts on motocross bikes and uh i'm not very good on them but yeah <laughs> The road bikes was always my thing. I just, I always had like kind of field bikes and would knock around on them. But as soon as I could get a bike um, on the road, I would, I would, well, I, I remember being, I remember being quite young. And if, if mum and dad were out of the house, I would steal my dad's motorbikes and take them for a rip and, uh, and try and not get caught by anyone. Um, and I just loved it. And I would live for those moments as well. I'd think, God, I hope they're going out soon. I'd try and buy the keys to the GSXR and see if I have a rip. <laughs> but um, yeah, just love them. Did you ever get caught? No, no. I used to, I know this is all hooligan behavior and we shouldn't, we shouldn't say it's a good thing to do, but I used to um, take the number plates off my motorbikes so I could just do whatever. I, to me, I was like, oh, it's fine. I can just do whatever I want. And and a smooth criminal yeah 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 <laughs> right, i loved it i um i remember my cousins having uh, like sort of twist and go mini motocross bikes yeah and um i can i can when you're saying that feeling of speed uh, it's it's very hard to describe it unless you you felt it before but um it's like a combination of pure fear excitement adrenaline just sort of going feel like and it's going for every single vein in your body yeah and um i remember the first time i went on the twist and go um it was with my uncle and my cousin we was over this sort of patch of grass outside their house and i just remember ripping back and again and it just felt like i was catapulted in a in a fighter jet because it was the it was the most extreme speed I've ever felt, and then I was just loving life so much, and then I realised that I was getting closer to the road, and like these wooden stumps, and I just didn't know what to do, and I'm thinking it's getting it's getting closer, it's getting closer, and I literally just ditched it, 
and it was so heavy this bike it was an old school like <laughs> greasers sort of bike and uh, i couldn't get it up off me and luckily the side that i decided to ditch it on was the opposite side to the exhaust wow. because um a friend of mine or sorry my cousin's friend around that time um he he come off the bike and he couldn't get it off of him and the exhaust burnt all his leg away yeah and he had you know real serious sort of burns and my mum fought my dad for years about you're not getting jay a bike you're not getting jay a bike and that's how i honestly got into jet skiing really um because my dad said well you're gonna have some form of like motor engine or, or racing in you and we went down the whole jet ski road and the whole point of that was if you fell off and hit water you know you wouldn't get burnt by an exhaust and my mum sort of met him in the middle and, and they agreed and that's that's pretty much how i got into that world but um amazing the the racing part for me and, and i want to touch in this you because there's not too many people have experienced it and i remember when we went go-karting that feeling come back for me because i don't know about you but i used to talk to myself so like i, I would almost be reeling that person in front of me mm. with with my words um like you, you could sort of almost work out at what point you're going to take them um and and you know when you get past them i'd just be like screaming to myself like really? an absolute nutcase um can you can you relate to that or am i just a fruitcake so i think uh i think i'm the exact opposite I think <laughs> I'm, I'm totally um yeah almost go very very kind of within myself very silent there's almost there's like everything happening but nothing it's it's yeah really kind of yeah very i got right into the whole flow state thing um because i have experienced it from the from the bikes like uh i don't think i've experienced it as amazing as some people um some people's stories but i remember like, this is a really good example of it i was at um cadwell park coming out of the last corner onto the straight and it's a fairly big it's not a huge straight but it's fairly big and i could see an r1 at the top of the um, well, kind of midway down the straight and he's getting ready to kind of pitch into the next turn and i've come out the corner now i'm i don't know in terms of meters uh, at least 200 meters behind this guy at the time he's probably doing 160 170 mile an hour approaching turn one i'm probably coming out of the last turn at 80 mile an hour anyway i see this bit of um uh, rubber flick off of his rear tire and i saw it and I tracked it all the way up along and like past my helmet, my visor as I was as I was going and it was all slow. There was nothing fast about it. And and my eyesight is not that good. Like I I cheated my way through the the um, the eyesight exams. I didn't want to wear glasses um, under my uh, under my helmet and my visor. So in the in the opticians, I just sat there just saying things until I got it right. And um, so i wish i'd worn glasses i think i i think i may have been way better if i'd have just worn the glasses and raced but anyway um my eyesight is not that good yet i saw this kind of bit of rubber track past me and i remember so many times that that feeling of being really on the limit and really going fast but but feeling like it was so slow so controlled and almost playing with the limit like i remember the feeling when it's going well of feeling like i cannot fall off this doesn't matter what I do I'm not I'm not falling off it I can't fall off it I can be reckless and 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 you would you'd push the boundaries everywhere and it felt on rails and then you'd have a moment and everything fucking 
sped up at that point then you realize you were still you were still breakable and then you find that state again so that that was amazing them sort of feelings was amazing having that what age did you start racing too late um so i started racing at the the worst possible time i think i might have been i might have been i was 21 i was right. 21 which is way too late it's game over by that point as it is i always wanted to do it um and i was always a kind of a kind of hooligan around on bikes but it all came at the worst possible time my my dad had just died um everything was wrong and i saw this advert in a paper about come up to come up to mallory park in in leicestershire and and try out our race bikes and see if you can get on the on the race team and just the worst timing ever and i remember saying to my mum, i'm gonna go and do that like how how selfish that's bad i, I feel bad like the whole the whole racing thing i absolutely love it and if i could if i could start again i would i i i'd do it all again um but yeah it's it the worst possible timing and I, I went up there and started to try and try and get into it and it was yeah it was a, it was a weird time to be doing that i think but yeah i did it so what happened did you get signed up by a team so it's really strange how it worked so i went up to this little team in leicester and ripped around mallory park on their bikes and and then they kind of enter you if if you're fast enough they kind of enter you into the kind of east midlands championship or whatever it was and and you start doing a bit of racing for them and they kind of pick up sponsorship in in their little team um quite often now you have to bring your own money to these teams as well when i first got into it you could have like the level i got to you could like earn decent money kind of doing it by the time i got to that level people were selling motorhomes and remortgaging houses and stuff to do it so the sport kind of changed massively whilst i was in it yeah um but yeah you kind of just you kind of just get by on little bits of sponsorship like that and I did that for a while and, and trying to break into a scene like that. I don't know if it's the same for you with jet skis, but you're you're quite a massive outsider. Like I didn't have a racing family or anything like that. So you're coming in brand new and you don't you don't know anyone and there's a lot of there's a lot of rogues involved in it that are just trying to rip people off or doing underhand stuff. Um so yeah having having no kind of background and no no one to help you is odd everyone's dad raced or their uncle raced or they've got all these ties so it was difficult and i started doing that and i, I was loving it and i just wanted more and more and more and i went to a, a british superbike meeting up at um snetterton and there was a board outside saying they wanted a super stock rider and that was like national level stuff i was nowhere near that standard but I, I bowled in there and, and went up to the team boss there um, and said, yeah, I, I can do this, um, which is really unlike me. Like I'm not, you know me, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really a mouthy sort of big up kind of guy, but yeah, I strolled in there and said that I could do this. Um, and then he said, yep, yeah, come up to, again, Mallory Park. I, I hate Mallory Park as, as a racetrack. It's just, probably one of the only places I was kind of frightened to ride around. It just did not feel safe, especially on a big bike. But he hooked me up to Mallory Park to, to have a go on this bike. Two days before going there, I sort of said to him, oh, um, I rung him up and was a bit, <laughs> a bit like shitting myself and that. I said, I've not really ridden a bike in about a year. Um, I sort of 
I plagged my way into it. I've, I've never ridden like a, this was a ZX10 Superstock bike, so it's a fast, fast bit of kit. I've never ridden anything like that. I've knocked about on 125s and 250s and stolen my dad's GSXR a few times. Um, thought I was some sort of hero rocking up to Mallory Park. And I remember getting up there, he told me to still come. And it wasn't even a track day, it was an ACU testing day. So that's for, for proper racers to be like testing their bikes. So I remember rolling out of pit lane on this ZX10 thinking, what the fuck are you doing? And the guys were just so fast. Like I was a fast road rider and, uh, and always seemed to be faster than everyone else out on the road. Go on a track and you absolutely get put back in your place. And there, so that's kind of what got the ball rolling with that. Mate, it sounds epic, and I, and I love your confidence to just say like stroll into that team boss and go like you you must have had because like you say you, you you're not not Larry not someone who would you know say I'm the best in the world you just quietly get on and yeah. you're like quite savage, um, but you must have had that like internal belief or passion that this was the road that you had to follow. 100% and I, I still do like I'm so bitter about not racing like I set out to to get to a really good level of racing I, I never achieved what I should have done uh, I never I never achieved what I truly truly believe I could have done as well I, I really um, I think I sometimes lack self-belief but I know I, I know what I could be capable of on a, on a motorbike if I'd have got into it a lot sooner found the right connection sooner which I did find but it was coming towards the end of, of play with that sort of thing but I'm not just me like I, I was part of championships where I look at all the lads there there's a lot of, of gifted riders there if they get the, if they got the chance if they got the it's not a sport that gets a lot of there's there's not a lot of kind of I don't know how you put it like uh, kind of coverage yeah, coverage and kind of feeder sort of things to get people into it or to get exposure to it's it's probably looked as a little bit of a rogue sport still but we've got incredible riders in this country we've, we've had incredible world champions like Cole Foggett is and James Tozens, Neil Hodgson like we've got we've got amazing riders the the guys that go over to the Isle of Man like mate the list is endless but um yeah it doesn't get that that exposure which is a shame but I just I absolutely love it. It's it's honestly the first thing I think of in the morning and the last thing I think of at night. And it's never changed. Like dreaming of me being on a bike or doing something on a bike or racing or I, I used to I was obsessed with it. I my mum and dad used to buy me the review, the World Superbike review of the year every year. MotoGP and World Superbikes, crash videos, everything. I loved it. And I used to sit and watch nine hours of world superbikes on the, on a video um back to back i'd stay up all night i'd watch it and then just restart it and just watch it my friends probably used to get well pissed off they'd come around we'd all be hanging they want to play fifa or whatever and i'd just be staring at like troy corsa and stuff riding his bike and i just i loved it and and then years down the line again that kind of visual visualization i used to look at troy a guy called troy corsa and a guy called uh, Steve Hislop, who they just looked perfect on a bike. And I used to watch Hislop all the time. He was he was a special guy. And I, at Cadwell Park one day, and this old boy come over. You used to get like old boys with um, 
with like a signature book. They wanted they wanted to take people's signatures and stuff like that. And he comes shuffling over to me, and he wanted a signature, and it was really cool. We didn't get to to kind of give many of them out because we were kind of nobodies at the time. But um, he said, "You know who you remind me of? You might remind me of a of a young Steve Hislop, and the way you ride that bike." And to me, it was just like. I've completed racing at that point. If I looked like Steve Hislop for one corner, then then um yeah, then it was good. Mm. And I know what you mean because um I, I had like the the old tapes of the World Jet Ski Championships that was in Lake Havasu in Arizona, and there was a guy at the time as I was coming as I was sort of because I couldn't race until I was sixteen, but I had this vision that I I knew once I turned sixteen I was going to race and my prep from the age of seven to 16 was all about getting race ready mm. and there was this guy called um his nickname was jamming jeff jacobs <laughs> and you'd see him around lake havasu which is a massive lake it's like a fucking ocean and uh, but just the smoothness of how he turned and it made it look effortless mm. it was always my plan to be able to corner at speed and make it look as smooth as possible and um there was a guy in the in the british championships that he was sort of a he was in the pro level because you go beginners novice pro and uh, i don't know if it was my dad just trying to feed my motivation or ego at the time but when um at one of the meets i'd run i'd won the qualifier or the first final i can't remember and this my dad said i overheard this guy talking and he said um he can't believe how well you corner like he wish he could corner as well as you and i was like it just lit lit a fuse in me yeah yeah and and i know what you mean like with with that guy paying you the compliment like that for him it might just been a chuck away comment but yeah for you, that's like years and years and years of studying and and practicing and practicing all sort of yeah. uh, come to it was, it was huge yeah it was like it was a massive thing for me i went out into the next race feeling feeling like i was steve his up when i was going <laughs> to win the world championship at that point did you ever any have any course start again did you ever have any sort of bad crashes or, or dumps or yeah yeah do you know what i always say i was like the i was i was really lucky i wasn't a huge crasher um you do it you have loads of crashes um you have loads of them but you just you just accept that that's part of part of it it's funny looking back now like you must lose your edge a little bit because the uh, i can't believe how like what you would take and just carry on and and it was just normal but um i was i was really lucky really like i unfortunately i've been to many race meetings where where lads are killed and stuff so you always feel so lucky that i didn't have loads of crashes i had quite an unlucky career in terms of the the path i chose and some of the people i trusted but i had a super lucky career with my crashes i had a i had a massive one in um in scotland we had this right problem with the bike where the the front brake wouldn't work properly which is obviously quite an issue and um, uh, at the track knock hill there's this very short straight that bears into a really tight hairpin um and the straight it's not super super fast um but there's a timing beacon there's a, a speed beacon right in your braking area so i know i was doing 164 when the incident happened because you get your timing sheet and i went and looked at it so i've come plowing down i was good on the brakes i was a fairly good late breaker and one of my strong points was um 
like carrying good corner speed. So I was late on the brakes. I'd get off the brake hard and I'd drop into the corners. And uh, I braked late. And as I, I pulled the front brake lever in, there was just nothing there. The lever just came back and hit the handlebar. And you you know from your racing, if you break if you break that much later into a corner, you're not making the corner. So when you have you're really on that sort of edge. So when you have no brakes, it's a fucking incident. Um, I touched the rear brake, just had no feeling with it at all. The rear brakes on on bikes are not that great, and I never used to use it a lot anyway. As well, I was a big front breaker, but I touched it obviously way too hard. It kind of snapped me sideways snatched me sideways the other way and then just threw me over the high side i went down i landed on the floor um i hit the air fence but then the bike came in as well and then like hit me and i don't remember i remember being hit but then all i remember was i was on all fours and my visor was kind of flapping like this and i just remember i didn't feel any i wasn't i wasn't feeling in pain or anything but i remember being thinking like i'm I'm here, like I'm like I'm present, so we're winning. And I was on all fours and I could see really um like really bright yellowy kind of dirt, soil, and people's trainers. And I was kind of crawling aimlessly. I didn't really know where I was going. And I was crawling and I sort of like looked up and what it had done, it had popped me under the under the fence, up the banking and into the crowd. Shit. And I was sort of knocking about in the crowd a little bit dazed and I sort of like stood up and I remember this guy's face just giving it holy fuck and he's sort of like backing away from me like like I shouldn't be should be near this guy. And I was sort of like looking about thinking, I don't know how the fuck I've got up here, but and then a marshal kind of grabbed my arm and pulled me back. But I was lucky, I wasn't I wasn't really that badly hurt. Like an hour later I was I was feeling it then, but we was out qualifying an hour later and they bolted the bike back together and I remember I was numb for for about two or three months down like my whole right hand side was just absolutely numb. You could have you could have poured boiling water on it or put a knife in it, and I just wouldn't have felt it. I don't know what it did to me, but it was yeah, it didn't feel normal. But that's lucky, really. Like I'm I'm happy to take that one, considering what some people go through. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you got some nerve damage from that impact. Yeah, it was a really strange feeling. I remember laying in the motorhome, sort of like. 10 15 minutes after it thinking fucking hell I, I felt i felt odd at that point i felt all over the shop i was like dizzy i couldn't feel me my hand my leg anything and yeah literally they kind of like put me on the bike i couldn't i didn't really have the control to like lift my leg over the bike so they sort of like put me on the bike and it's <laughs> just a mad sport at it just put you back <laughs> on the bike get back out there patch up the bike patch you up yeah one yeah how did you ride the rest of that sort of meat did it did it pay like a massive sort of um did it disabilitate your ability to ride or did you just no just get on with it yeah, yeah it's just that yeah just get back in the zone get back on with it I, I think i don't know if i'm so good at it now but i think i had that i think i had that good ability of kind of dissociating from things it, mm -hmm. and sort of the like Going back to that corner was was a non-issue. Oh, I say that I, I had this issue with the front brake for about five or six rounds of that of that season. The brakes failed at um, Paddock Hill uh, Paddock Hill Bend uh, uh, Brands Hatch, and if anyone knows that, uh, that's a fucking moment as well. You do not want that happening. Um, 
but um, so that it did play on my mind that the brakes might just stop working at any point because it did happen loads. But yeah, I think I was quite good back then at just dissociating from that situation, getting my head down and and going. And yeah, the pain wasn't really an issue at that point when you stopped. It was, but yeah, I just didn't really care. So motorbikes was clearly a massive part of your your childhood and you growing up and and is still you know one of your biggest passions yeah so that was the age from 21 up until i'm trying to think so i've got a really strange timeline um i've usually got a really really good long-term memory and i can remember a lot of stuff but i have this weird timeline around that whole time uh i it must be because it was the, losing my dad at that time. Like obviously, that was a that was huge, and you, you never think that sort of stuff happens. We we had like a really normal, just really normal kind of family. That stuff, n nothing bad ever happened to us. We were like, yeah, it was just the normal, cool family. And then that happens, and you're like, like my dad was Superman, like incredible, and marathon runner. Uh, like just athletic just yeah and so that happens he died of a heart attack and that's like no like no, that doesn't bad stuff doesn't happen to us and it certainly doesn't happen to my dad but yeah, yeah so he he died and that whole timeline I, I kind of i definitely lost my way a little bit and and i'm kind of like my memories as well i don't remember things that when, when i feel like i should and like the first sort of few years of racing i must have stopped racing at like 28 or 29 or something like that um but there's certain things that i should remember and i just don't i just blotted them out and the first few years of it are a real blur because the guilt of doing it as well like what i was doing to my mum that doesn't make me feel comfortable mm -hmm. um and do you know what and in the long run that it was almost it was almost that that made me realize and start wanting to come away from racing in a way i remember being at Snetterton. And there was a guy that I thought was just insanely quick. And I was watching him. My mum was there. And I was watching him thinking, fuck me, this dude is, is rapid. He looked so fast, faster than everyone. And um, I was looking for my mum to be like, put a, put a clock on this guy. And he was on a super bike as well. So I was riding a 600 super sport at this point. So it's a big horsepower bike. It's a big horsepower track. My mum was already on it. She she had a right eye for that sort of stuff. She was already timing him. Had about five laps of him, and I was on edge watching him how quick he looked. And then I sat down with mum. I said, "What's this guy up to?" Number thirty-two. He was on a on a Honda Fireblade, and uh, and I looked at his times, and I was about four seconds a lap quicker than the guy, and I just thought, "Fuck!" My mum has to see that. Mm -hmm. and it, it was the first time it bothered me. You should, like you're selfish as anything doing a sport like that, but it was the first time it kind of hit me, and I thought, "Oh my god!" Like she sits and watches that, and she like she was like sick and stuff at races. I never knew this, but before and after, and uh, yeah, so that's what made me want to come away from it. So yeah, I've got a bit of a, a bit of a hazy timeline around all of that, which is strange. You kind of. I think again it's a bit of a coping mechanism in it to get rid of that get rid of the stuff that kind of makes you feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes well i always remember when i done my crossfit level one and in one of the quotes from like the intro was men fear 
fault in failure more than they do death mm. and that really stood out to me because this what you're talking about there is that um my mum never come because i my mum and dad separated when i was younger but my jet skiing was my dad thing and then my mum and stepdad would take me football on, on the sunday so the uh, my first crash when i come off um it was quite a big impact and they wasn't sure I, I felt fine but i was definitely in a state of shock like when i got back to they bring you back in the safety boat and they're asking you all these questions you know and they thought i might have been concussed because i sort of went spinning through the air and hit another jet ski um but I, apart from the shock of of just the adrenaline of being like like you said fuck I'm, i know i'm moving i'm here i'm, I'm alive mm. um they took me to the hospital checked me tablets for whiplash and uh, on the way back my dad was like well you know you're gonna have to we're gonna have to come up with a creative story here because if your mum finds out then she's probably not going to want you to race again so he's like yeah what can we say and uh, a few months earlier like there'd been wells disease in the local lake that i'd raced in all right so like the the rat pee it could be quite quite harmful for the human body so we said oh we say that there was an issue with a lake and this is why i've been given these tablets to take back for the rest I of the that. <laughs> that, that was our blag as we was coming back it's like yeah it sounded bulletproof and um got home mum went you all right I was like yeah 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 good yeah yeah um got to take these because there's there was a problem with the water they've done some tests They're like all oh, right okay yeah yeah and then my dad went off and um she went you sure you're okay yeah yeah she went all right she said it's funny because um like my auntie had seen on teletext that um 16 year old jet ski racer jay smith was rushed to hospital following a crash with another and i was like oh no 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 it won't it, no it's nothing like that so we just sort of bumped i went the other guy was pretty bad like he he got carted off but no they was giving these out because of that and I just, <laughs> giving him out <laughs> just like my innocence of youth of trying to blag a situation and uh, that's my claim to fame being on tv i was on teletext teletext i love that <laughs> for all the youngsters that don't remember that um, <laughs> but then it was I think it was the next race meeting um i got wiped out hard like they call it the whole shot so mm. it's like you got 20 30 jet skis all going for the first boy and i got there and turned but someone just t-boned me so just wiped me out and the lad who t-boned me come off a lot worse mm. and he lost all the nerve and feelings like to his left side couldn't use his arm i think he had a little bit of uh, he was slightly sort of paralyzed in his face for a bit. He was in hospital for quite some time. And then that made me realize, like, as much as I loved the sport, like how humbling being involved in a couple of incidents on the trot. And I was in like a leg brace for a couple of months. And my muscle wastage, you know, where I did not move this foot, where the patella and the knee had totally dislocated. And I remember the guy... Um, it was one of the the racers dad he was like oh, i'm a doctor i'm a doctor he come running over to the saint john's ambulance and i had my brand new wetsuit on it's like 300 quid wetsuit slippery when wet i'd wanted it for years and finally got it and they're like oh we're gonna have to cut this off and i'm like i'm on the gas and air going you ain't cutting this off for shit and um he come over and went i can put it back in place i can put it back in place 
And uh, I was like three foot above my body looking down on myself. I was off my tits on this gas and air. I didn't have a clue what was going on. Just I felt unbelievable. And I heard it, but I didn't feel it. He put it back into place. They carted me off, put me back in the leg brace. There was no way I could blag that to my mum. You know, yeah. like it was dodgy water, but I've got to wear a leg brace. Um, and after that, I lost a bit of confidence with it. Um, and it just made me think, like, when I see that guy bob up and uh, when they took his helmet off, he was bleeding from his ears. Mm. And that, for me, was like, as much as I love this, I love life more and I wouldn't want to, you know, you can't go into a race meeting like you're going to get hurt or you're going to get injured or you're going to end up in hospital. You can't, you can't have that belief. Like, you need to have... Yeah. 100% confidence in in whatever you're doing you know whether that's running lifting whatever you you need to believe because you can self talk yourself out of anything and i just had that 1% doubt just crept in and you know what they say about self doubt like it's fine as long as you don't believe it the second you start believing it and it just yeah i just had to sort of fall back from the racing and um yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it just... I totally get that. I, re I really get that. I had I had such a similar thing. I had a, a really strange kind of full circle type um, experience with racing. So, I, I, like I said, I got into it at a really weird time. Like, Dad had just died and everything was fucked. Um, slowly got better and better at racing and life became a little bit kind of more normal and stuff was going okay. I had a long-term... Uh, girlfriend at the time and coming towards the end of my career in the racing the her mum was now dying of cancer and it was the sh just the shittest thing ever and, and there's so many similarities of emotions that I could see their family and stuff going through and it was back then you know like it was stressful but I didn't actually I didn't really register it as kind of stress and that it was stressing me out I had loads going on there was there was just me and my mum weren't actually getting on that that well at the time either and racing was going a bit up and down I was struggling I had all this going on with, with her family and trying to support that and it obviously stirred up a lot of stuff for me as well it was like fuck me this feels all a bit like raw again and, and I didn't realize it at the time but I was fucking mega stressed out losing the plot a little bit really and and racing was suffering and stuff like that and so it's weird but i remember being at um i remember being at brands hatch and there was a crash down paddock hill bend um there was a guy that i raced with he was actually in the race before but he he would often be in my race as well and he crashed and you could tell it was big air ambulance and stuff was now on the track and stuff like this and i saw I was trying to ignore it because quite often you just get on with it. You just, like you say, that mindset, form, you, you focus. Not that you don't care. That's such a like bad way of kind of presenting it because you really care. But it's you just carry on and you disassociate. And but this time I couldn't. I kept sort of looking over there, and and then I saw the I saw the marshals kind of do their thing, uh, like as marking of respect. And I thought the lads died, and he had. And I knew it and uh, you could feel it. And, and we sort of, we went out, we were the next race out. And I know it sounds horrible to talk about, but we went down Paddock Hill Bend and like the mess on the floor was there for yeah. us all to see and to ride over. 
and it was the first time like other stuff like that had happened and you just disassociate and carry on but it was the f- i remember that being the first time like you say it was the first time it bothered me i was like and i remember saying it out loud like weirdly i remember just turning around i don't even know who was next to me but i remember just being a bit stunned and being like it's bothered me yeah saying it and being like oh shit that's weird why did i say that and and i knew it bothered me so we went out into the next race and uh there was a guy riding like a fucking idiot and he often rode like an idiot and i didn't really care because i'd usually overtake him and get out of his way but i was all over the shop and i kind of got stuck behind him and it wasn't you know from racing you usually end up at that time i was running at like the, the the front of that race and he was usually a little bit further back and you get caught up with some of those guys you don't often ride with and it's hard to get by them and i got a little bit trapped behind him and i had all this stuff going on in my head and i just remember fucking losing the plot i remember getting into park fermi afterwards and, and like having a go at this this lad for his riding i see he nearly t-boned a couple of people and he was just fucking out of control and it was probably fine we all probably rode like that at times but for some reason that day in that moment i lost the plot with him and had a pop at him and it's really unlike me but i realized at that point as well i was like oh no it's this could be the beginning of the end for this for me if that's bothered me but i carried on and I, I did do more racing but there was definitely um yeah definitely changed something for me a little bit that that one guy well trauma you know you've touched on it a couple of times with with your dad's passing and and obviously witnessing uh, the stuff that you've did in, in your racing with your with your fellow competitors like trauma acts in such a such a way that there's no textbook way to deal with it there's no um you, you know your brain will shut down um certain parts you know we don't fully appreciate how you know we we know bits and bobs about the brain and the body but um i, I listened a lot to andrew huberman um the neuroscientist and he was saying about how what they do now with um like families that have been involved in a, a fatal car crash but the survivors they will give them like a medical dose of ketamine to just take them out of that zone because that first if you just seem like your family member impaled on a steering column and, mm. and died in front of you in a horrific crash like that that taking their bringing their sort of mind away um, medically to be able to it just helps in the long term yeah and this is this is new science now so you know like the stuff that that, that you would have witnessed you know many moons ago um it, it gets locked in different parts and i don't know about you if you've ever looked into like the sort of ayahuasca treatments and all the sort of stuff that the veterans go and do so yeah. you know, if they've been seeing their friends blown up in iraq or afghanistan or something they'll fly over to peru and these like go through these tribal rituals that the ancient um that they'll do in in like the jungle huts and they'll get them to drink this sort of tea um like made from this psychedelics basically yes. but it, what it does is it takes your you, you sort of unlock this forgotten part of your brain that you've either deliberately forgotten because of trauma or you sort of because you don't use it it gets parked yeah. a bit like, you know like your reptilian your ancient sort of part of your brain and like they'll do all these um rituals and they'll have like a sort of spanish guitar playing in the background and bless you with the feathers and like it sounds proper out there but for yeah. 
for someone who's got like real bad PTSD or, um, you know, like a, a life changing incident, they've never been able to sort of deal with um, all these sort of psychedelics now and stuff is coming into play, even with like mushrooms. Mm. It's helping people almost be at calm and at peace and accepting that sort of trauma. Um, I know we're going off of on a massive rabbit hole here, but there's a wicked um, documentary on Netflix by Michael Pollan, who's an American author. And I think it's called um, How to Change Your Brain. But they look at all the different psychedelics and it, it, everything from like MDMA um, back in the sort of 60s when they was treating the, the Vietnamese, sorry, the, the American soldiers coming back from Vietnam mm-hmm. and all the trauma they suffered. But um, yeah, it's a really interesting watch if uh, if you're struggling for something to yeah. have a butcher's at. I really like that. Uh, yeah, a lot of those names and references you've said there, I, I've not heard of. And I, yeah, I think it's important. I, I think it's actually strange. It's not something I ever really talk about. Like I talk about my dad a lot because you just do, but you, you never talk about the like the losing of him and how it kind of affects you. But I do, as I've got older, I've just got that kind of carry on kind of mentality but as yeah. I get older I do find it strange how I do have these massive these massive holes for someone who kind of I do pride myself on having a really good memory and a really good long-term memory for absolute detail as well down to weird stuff of like what color shoelaces people had on or something stupid like that you know um and then then there's this huge part of my life that I just don't remember and even the bits I do remember, they're all out of sync. They're all they're all in really strange places. And it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling. So I think anything that can explore that and get people more at ease, ease with a situation like that is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I agree. Um, so the next part of your... Let's just talk about motorbikes. <laughs> <laughs> The next part of your, your competitive life. So you finished at roughly 28. Yeah. And then when did you sort of, um, when did you find your next passion of, of your fitness world? So pretty, uh, pretty quite soon, soon after. So I always trained a little bit because of the, because of the motorbikes. Badly. Now I look back on how I trained was just ridiculous how i look at how a lot of motorsport people change not just bikes but cars everything now man like we could we could help them out but anyway um i trained and did you do for the bikes so i had a pt and we used to just do a bit of weight training just everything wrong i didn't even really do that much cardio work it's probably a more kind of body composition focused stuff but i had no real idea i was just kind of clueless um so i followed the guidance there and i was i was like fairly fit but Man, I wish I could, man, what I know now, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, it's to be such a different story. Um, through that, I remember coming away from racing, it was like, I now have to enter the real world and, and get a job and stuff like that. And through being at the gym a lot, um, I pressed to get a job there. Like, what do I need to do to like work here? And the, the guys and girls there helped me out. Um, girl called Nikki steered me in the right direction and I still see Nikki now for all them years back she actually comes and trains at the training design now which is really cool but um, yeah um, they steered me in the right direction so I did a PT qualification and as I was doing that 
I entered into the kind of the the world of the fitness industry, which is quite strange. Um, it's quite outdated, and even for someone I didn't know anything at this time, just thought this all feels a little bit, I don't know, a little bit 1970s attitude, run around a football pitch to get fit or whatever, you know, it's just a bit weird. Um, at that exact time, I found CrossFit. And I think it actually originated by a guy called, I think his name might have been Brad, and he used to come into the gym and he started going up to um, the CrossFit gym in uh, Epping, CrossFit Essex, I think it was called at the time. And he was like, have you heard of it? And I was like, no, I don't know anything about this. Looked at CrossFit and was instantly like, whoa, here we go. Like, I've come from a really competitive background in, in sport. And I felt lost at this time as well. I remember this really weird period of not having the not having the fear, not having the excitement, not having, there was times I'd sit on the grid and it's raining and everyone's falling off and, and you sit there and you're, you're scared and you're just in your own head being scared. And at that point you could walk away from it, but you don't, you, you, you carry on doing what you're doing and it's a horrible feeling, but then you come away from that sport and you miss all that. You miss the highs and the lows. And I felt like, yeah, I felt like a, like a drug addict that was coming off his drugs and it was really strange didn't have anything saw crossfit and thought i'm up for a bit of that like there's some there's a competitive element so started researching that and absolutely at the same time was sort of doing the fitness industry education stuff that was massively conflicting with what i was looking at in the crossfit world it was all very different and it just interested me and i sort of got lucky it was um, I was looking at CrossFit videos. I actually messaged Chris Spieler, <laughs> like a legend he is, and it's really weird. It's really unlike me as well. I, I, I was, I used to watch him and just think, God, that geezer is amazing. He's clearly like punching above his weight, and he's he's living the dream. He's really good. And I messaged him about how you get stronger, and. Uh, he messaged me back and it was it was amazing and he sort of gave me some advice and then purely by luck my mum said oh I've got to take my car to uh, uh, the Volkswagen garage in Chelmsford um, can you pick me up uh, if I'm there so I said yeah and literally at that that kind of minute it flagged up on a Google search of CrossFit gym in, in Chelmsford and I was like might as well have a look at this so I did pick my mum up from the garage found this CrossFit gym wandered in there and was instantly just like fucking couldn't believe it it was it was the old crossfit cm2 uh, oyster place rob was in there training and uh he looked like uh what's his name out of, of the rocky films uh dolph dolph or whatever oh, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. fucking hell this geezer's mad <laughs> look what he's doing and um, uh I was instantly hooked, literally like a day later. I was like, I need to come and do a trial session at this place. So I started, I went down there, did a trial session down there. And that kind of sparked the interest. Again, I was seeing real conflicting things of like what we were doing and and uh, and, and what the fitness industry were doing. And it just felt a little bit weird. So I literally stayed at that gym as many hours as I could it was it was newly open gym I think it hadn't been open that long and um you could just drop Rob a message and he would like come in and train and it was kind of relaxed as well there was classes but there wasn't they weren't super regimented I, I would literally 
I'd get in there about three o'clock on the days I, at this point, sorry, I'd got a job at the gym, the gym that I lived, I lived an hour away at this point as well. Mm. Um, and I was working at the gym, but doing little shifts, picking up work here and there. So the days and times I wasn't over there, I'd shoot over to Chelmsford and literally stay there from like three in the afternoon until 10 o'clock at night, nine, 10 o'clock and, and just train and watch. And I just watched everything and I was just that that's kind of where the journey began. I just wanted to know absolutely everything I could about this. That was like your GP tapes that, that you was watching for night. Yeah. That was you. Because I, I remember you like um, sort of perched against the wall. And, you know, a lot of people would stay behind for a bit of social chat, catch up, you know, slap each other on the back. Yeah, that was tough. I remember you sort of sitting there intently studying, you know, just quietly taking everything in. And uh, it obviously makes a lot of sense now looking back at it. Yeah. Um, that, you know, what you was doing, you was you was taking everything in, you was absorbing, um, you know, the, the classes, the tutoring, the coaching, uh, you know, I'm assuming watching how people move and improve, you know, you'd see you would see some guy come in who would be clearly strong or someone who'd come in and be clearly fit and then you'd watch their their weaker side their strength or their conditioning it slowly grow and grow and grow till you sort of got this more all-rounded athlete mm -hmm. you might have someone from a bodybuilding background who's stacked out with muscles but you know couldn't run 50 meters without being out of breath and then you watch their body shape composition and their their energy output change yeah to, to basically you become an athlete yeah it fascinated me it it massively fascinated me and still does to this day how how you get people strong and fit like I, I love the I love the competitive side of CrossFit and I love the everyday side of CrossFit seeing people get that range of motion they fought for or something like that and then seeing a competitor how how you get them better at a 2k row without letting their back squat go to shit or something like that it massively fascinates me and that was that was a really early doors thing as well for me that i remember asking a coach we were doing five by five deadlifts and i went to pick the bar up and i stopped and i, I said why five by five and the coach at the time didn't know the answer which is that's fine like no one knows all the answers mm -hmm. um you got a choice at that point so <laughs> To sort of just say I don't know, I'll figure it out or, or whatever. And I felt like I put them on the spot and they they reacted a little bit strange about it, but they they didn't know the answer. And to me, it was just I remember it bothered me the rest of the session. Not that he didn't know. Mm. Um you to know why. I needed to know why. And yeah. I just could not help that. And that and that was I was like that with everything. But like everything I did, like I keep trying to sway the conversation back to motorbikes, but like <laughs> motorbikes and tires is like, why, why this, why that, why are we putting that much brake fluid in? Why are we putting just mad? But yeah, I was like that with, with this and it was the, it was the new thing and I had to know why everything and we'll figure out a reason. And it, yeah, it sparked that. And I, and then like you say, I, I sat there for years. We all went and did a level one at the time. There was me, Matt Whale, um, uh, Matt Nickel, uh, and we went, we went up to Stockport. We did a level one, and those guys were really vocal. So they came back into the gym as of the day we got back, and they were queuing people and trying to coach people. And 
and, and that was fine but I was almost like the exact opposite I still I still sat back and just watched and looked and looked at how people moved and wondered what I would do and 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 then the kind of running joke always was that I I basically didn't go home until Rob gave me a job one day that was that was pretty much they did kind of play out like that I just was like I'm not I'm not going to go anywhere I need to be working here I need to be doing this and uh, and that's kind of what happened there mm. so that's when your sort of crossfit coaching life started mm-hmm. um and i and i feel like i've had uh, the pleasure and honor to be to be coached under you for many 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 hours uh, you got a very cool calming and your deliverance of cues which i've seen on many coaches overload people mm. with so many cues and do this do that lift it up bigger you know and it's almost like they're being drill sergeanted by uh you know like the the typical a very good way of of, of subtle cues but not overloading the person so you might see two three things wrong yeah. but your attack the biggest uh, error that you see and then you'll correct that before you start going into into other areas which i think it's sort of like you say about your your personality you went away a bit more quieter than the other two guys and you wanted to refine mm-hmm. your experiences and skills before you started delivering that to other people and that that is a massive um massive skill that you've got rich and i just i just wanted to say thank you really for for the, for the years of being under um your, your direction and coaching i know it's change you know crossfit cm2 rob you guys um scott you changed me and the, my mindset of of how my training was um and it's yeah it's just just made me not only a better athlete or you know just husband father etc so yeah mm. nice uh, i appreciate it i really do it's it I had this conversation with someone uh, just the other day, but you kind of get branded as like, oh, a PT or a, or a fitness coach or whatever you might be. And it gets, I think sometimes the mainstream look at that is just like, uh, are you just a, a, a gym boy knocking around doing gym things? But you get the opportunity to change people's lives and their mental health and their, their community, their friend group and how they act and you get to know people. And it's, it's, a, it's amazing. Uh, see people flourish and change over the years and i love it and it's i get the honor of doing it and i really mean that i know it sounds like a really cheesy line but i get to i get to interact with my friends every day and speak to them spend time with them and and learn off of them like like what you just said like having coaching you like how lucky was i that i i came at a time when the group of people we had in that gym you mike lee lewis white scott white josh liam like chris salmon like the list the list is really big and i i got to cut my teeth with you boys like the fucking level there was it was mental like i didn't know what i had on my hands at the time like it's rare to have a group of people back then as well like a video came up the other day of gaz doing a complex of i can't even remember what it was now it's like a clean and a jerk and then an overhead squat and a jerk or it was like a bit of a mad complex and it was eight years ago and he was doing it with 120 odd kilos like back then it was fucking but now that's good 
back then that was fun. must have been really good and and that's i was the lucky one i got to deal with you guys then and i think it helped me just more more than i realize now it's like i got to, yeah i got to deal with that so it kind of it goes both ways like that's where i developed my my coaching and we all got lucky i think it was mega mega time that was a breeding spot for monsters yeah um, and and you know rob was the he was the european crossfit athlete going out and doing regionals and, and winning some events he was the he was the big dog but there was you know other people like you say tim um tim, yeah. like the, the guys that used to throw down in there i remember like you talk about that fear and anxiety before a race like the fear of watching the class before with bumpers uh, you know like barbells and, and bumpers dumping on the floor people doing out double unders swinging a kettlebell running in running out I remember thinking there like my heart rate was just rising just yeah. watching these guys thinking fucking hell this is this is savagery like this, yeah. these guys are not fucking about this is not your typical three times ten on a shoulder pressure machine while you make talking to him about what he's got up to at the weekend and, and stuff like it was yeah it, it was a proper beastly environment and a, and a lot of people have, have benefited from that for sure i've got a question for you and i i just want to know what, what does fitness mean for you it's a tricky one for now it means that i can i can wrestle my kids and chase <laughs> after them you know i had this when cody was first born um I've got my first, uh, like, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. For me, fitness at first was all about, but I'm very, very competitive. And even now, I still want to win whatever workout I'm in. Even if Matt Fraser's in the room, again, I will dissociate myself from who that guy is, and I will gen genuinely believe that I'm probably going to beat the guy. Like, <laughs> maybe stupid, but that's just what I am. And um, so super competitive probably more so than what people think actually but um so it's all about that it's about the performance and it was about and it still is to to a large extent to see what i can get out of myself truly makes me tick it just saying it makes me feel a little bit savage i want to go and grab the air bike and have a quick quick whiz up and see what's going on <laughs> but um it also now means i cody was born and i got exposed to the whole uh soft play situation and that's a mental place to be and and what i saw my first ever exposure to that was and I'm, I, I'm not i'm not trying to dig people out sound like an idiot but overweight parents that sat on their phone and took no notice of their kids and i think half of them couldn't fit in the soft play to chase their kids and that sounds so judgmental i don't i don't mean that and you can get slated for that sort of stuff but that's the reality and and i i can i don't want to be that no way can i be that i need to i need to be able to like cody is a he's a physical little boy he wants to be wrestled and thrown about and chased constantly now his sister she's on another level as well she's mental she wants all the same things and so for me it's it's a it's about that and i think a little bit of it is kind of then going back to my dad like he was literally superman to me like could do everything so if, if i can ever be that for them that's mm. the one yeah 
I was at Legoland's with the twins yesterday, and and again, I, I don't I don't mean this coming from a judgmental perspective. I, I do it from a, like a caring aspect, but I'm seeing like kids with like sodas, popcorn, candy floss, these garbage hot dogs. Mm. Like I'm just looking around, and and like, and I know I'm a little bit extreme. I'm doing an animal-based sort of thirty-day reset at the minute, so like I'm I'm eating pretty pretty clean and and you know following a, a strict guideline. But the the weight of people, you know, people getting out of breath, pushing a pram up a tiny little incline. Yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah, like, this is what keeps me awake at night, Rich. It's my it's not reaching my fucking potential. Like yeah. that, yeah. I know if I've sandbagged a workout today. Yeah. Like, have I, have I not gone in as hard as I want? Have I sort of minced through it because I'm a little bit tired, a bit knackered, a bit, bit stressed out from work? But, like, I, I know when I go to bed fucked and I'm gone within seconds when my head hits the pillow, like, yeah, I've given my all today. Mm. And I, it's taken me over the years to, to work out that I can't, as much as I want to beast myself every single day and go like full on savage mode, I have to be selective now with what I do. I'm 41 this week. So I have to, and I've gotten a good little rhythm of it at the moment with my Ollie lifting and running. Um, I've left the Metcon world alone for a little bit until I finish this fucking mountain race that's been plaguing me for the last three years. It keeps getting canceled, but hopefully it will be happening this year. Um, but, you know, just the ability to, like, I don't want to be this eight-year-old in a care home having my ass wiped for me. I want to be on my 80th birthday walking up a mountain mm. with a backpack on and feeling strong and fit. But, yeah, look, everyone knows we could all get hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, and, and people sort of say to me, oh, I can't believe how much you spend at the butchers. Oh, I can't believe how much you do this. I'm like, no one would give a fuck if I bought a round of Jaeger bombs for 40 quid. Yeah and went mental on a night out and done 200 quid on booze which is ultimately a toxin that we're putting into our body right I'm not trying to sound like a killjoy but if i go and do 100 pound at the butchers and train five or six days a week go to bed early um you know really look after my recovery and be trying as point on as i can juggling you know being a husband a father and and having a, a career that I'm the fucking odd one out because I'm not eating garbage, um, fucking, you know, like biscuits and donuts and all the sort of shit that you see around soup. And it, it just kills me. Like, I, you've got one chance at this life and I don't want to fuck it up eating Cheetos, watching Netflix. Right. So that's so true. And that is, that is how it goes so many people and it's so true I, I, I totally get that like the the comment being the odd one out that's sort of ultimately my my kind of growing up in a little village we had a huge group of friends and it was amazing but that group of friends we did all the sort of things that you do growing up in villages try and get older cigarettes and booze and what have you and I got to a point where I clearly like didn't want that and kind of grew out of it. If I was going to race and move on to fitness and all this sort of stuff, you can't be doing that. But you become the odd one out. And I had to separate myself from that, which is crazy that you have to separate yourself from, from these people. Like largely they are still, still 
doing what they did and they hadn't really progressed which is a shame but um yeah you have to separate yourself from it to be the odd one out to kind of do the right thing it's it's mad and i do try and i try and push that onto cody as well and, and show him try and show him the right path it's so difficult at his age he's six now so he loves to sneak into the dining room and crack the pringles open behind the back and all that <laughs> but, um yeah trying to expose him to to what's what's kind of a healthy lifestyle and what's not because the other thing that's really really clear as well is there's an element of people don't give a fuck and they they do just want to they don't just, they just don't care but then there's a massive element of people that still actually don't know that potatoes are not protein and stuff like that like it blows your mind that mm. it's like they don't know that they don't know that yeah that that's got sugar in it and stuff like that it, uh, so there is a huge element of that and i try and yeah i do try and kind of push that onto code a little bit yeah. it's, it's hard isn't it it's so hard uh, it's a question that i ask all the fathers that come on to the to the podcast but how do you how do you put like um hardship on your kid without you know obviously going over the top like what, what what have you found that works that you're able to you know give them that bit of wisdom that you've got from your years like how how have you managed to sort of do that with it it's really hard it, it's it's really really hard i don't know if i i don't know if i have yet breaking through to them is 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 really really difficult it's yeah it's interesting i wonder if I wonder what their kind of experience is like when me and my wife are separated and we're very different people probably why we're separated but their life and experience there i think some of my views are considered very over the top in eat this or i don't do that to the kids i'm not like mega pushy with any of it i like to them to find their way yeah um yeah it's very different so i wonder how they sit with it i wonder if i wonder if they look at me at the moment and think geez that's a little bit a bit over the top with some of his views but cody thrives on it cody thrives in so i've got a bit of light that's flickering into my face um he thrives on on trying to do the right thing like he'll see what i eat and uh like that i'm having fruit instead of the chocolate roll or whatever he's trying to get his hands on and he'll he responds really well today he's like hey i want a bit of that i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that and he talks about being he's obsessed with like he, he thinks he's the hardest person on the planet and he talks about how strong he is you'll see like videos of like people in the gym and he's just like oh my god look how weak that guy is <laughs> no reference to what he's doing he's stronger but um yeah he he responds to it and I kind of leave them to it. I let them see what I'm doing. I've never pushed bikes or training or anything on them. Yeah, it's really surprising how he starts to make those decisions. He asked for a salad and he asked if he could go and do some pull-ups and stuff. And the older he's getting, the more... And Casey as well. Casey's only... Um, she'll be three at the end of this month. And I'll, so I'll quite often see her kind of doing burpees in the front room where she's just picked it up and she's kind of just doing it on her own accord at the moment and trying to pick up the kettlebell and stuff so yeah i think i'm at that stage where i'm just letting it expose them to it and let them see yeah products of their environment i suppose if they're yeah. 
they're seeing it from the people that care and look after them then it's only going to rub off isn't it yeah definitely it really i told him i told cody that thing what's the old crossfit um that, that crossfit saying like i can't even remember how it was and i think i ballsed it up when i told him as well but the the, the do today what others won't so tomorrow you can do what they can't or or something like that yeah i said that kind of off the cuff to him because he asked me why i was i think i was sprinting on an air bike or something like that and i just said it and for a for a six-year-old he was actually five at the time when i said that he got it he instantly understood it and i just i saw it in his eyes he was like hmm and he literally turned around and started trying to do press ups or something like that. And but he understood it, which I was really, really surprised at. And so, yeah, let them see it and, and see what they go with. I've got Leo into rugby and um, just purely for a bit of discipline. Like, I, I like the way that rugby players address the referee and you know, totally different to the football world. Yeah. And um, we was walking to, to rugby one day and he said to me, um, one of his friends in school plays football. I said, all right. I said, um, well, I'm going to bastard this saying as well. But basically I said, um, what did I say? Fucking hell, proper fuck this up. <laughs> but basically it was like, um, if rugby was easy, it would be called football. Yeah. And he And he looked at me. And I was like, look, it's hard. Like rugby is a hard game. I said, but um, it will make you a better person. And I talked to him about being a warrior and nothing can hurt him. Because he's had a couple of occasions where he's been hit. And because he's never been exposed to that, like he'll wrestle with his sister. But when he gets punched by like another kid sort of being naughty or whatever, his reaction, because he's so kind hearted, mm. he looks around because he doesn't know what to do. And then he bursts into tears. Yeah. And I sort of say to him like, it, like you just nothing can hurt you like let everything bounce off of you because they're, they're so innocent at, at this age still and um it, I, I think again i'm never going to push him into anything that he doesn't want to do but he keeps saying he wants to do karate so i think i'm going to have to maybe blag that brazilian jiu-jitsu is called karate <laughs> <laughs> and get him into a, a martial art just purely to build his confidence and and I've said to you know the wife not so he goes around looking for fights and you know being that school bully banging on the table oh I'm gonna fucking smash yeah. him up that's that's not what I want I want him to be able to defend himself if needed but have the confidence that if he is you know caught with an elbow or a kick or on a, yeah. on a bouncy castle whether it was deliberate or a mistake that he he can one defend himself two you know know what to do and free not not be scared of of taking something like that yeah definitely so yeah but look this rewind let's go back to um your coaching days and then how that transferred into the training design <laughs> so yeah i i noticed with with crossfit there's so many there's so many uh kind of iterations of crossfit and I, st I still think people forget that it started out as that kind of that uh, that program that stops you from becoming immobile as like a uh, in in later life. 
and obviously the kind of the sport side of it really glamorizes it and people see that and they want more of it and it's a really so you get this really hard payoff i think where like now obviously like programming for a gym and stuff like that where you can cram too much into programs because people started obviously getting super fit and they want more they want they want to they don't just want to come in and do five by five back squat and that be their day if that's whether that's right or not it's like a massive massive debate and i think how crossfit program their stuff and, and do their thing i think is absolutely bang on but it leaves this kind of crazy hole in the market like imagine you guys or people that had had that extra time to train and we're saying yep there's your five by five um you've done your hour it's time for you to go it as a business that doesn't work but for people that do want to progress into the sport or i've had loads of people over the years that don't want to progress into the sport but they love training and they just they want more so that's almost how and why the training design was born people would start coming to me and say i really not good at squatting what do i do or like yeah gymnastics was always the big one i was i was okay and had a good understanding of gymnastics and that was always they needed the they needed more skills can you write me a program that will, will sort my muscle ups out and stuff like that so that's really how how the training design was born a few people came up to me and to this day these people are uh uh, uh kind of still with me so again how i was just so so lucky one of the first people that ever approached me to help him out was um emily hart from owns uh, crossfit 13 yeah and we still have a connection now my gym and her gym uh are approached as the same thing we follow the same affiliate program we we do all the same stuff together and she but how lucky she rolls up the first time I ever saw her, you look at her and you think, hang a fucking belt, like we've got something serious on our hands. And she want, wanted help getting better at gymnastics. I'm like, fuck me, I can help her. So yeah, we I started working with her, getting her bits and bobs. And over the years, you know, to this day, she's still she's still there. She yeah, she still does my stuff, she still helps me develop my stuff along the line as well her boyfriend tom comes on board he wants stuff again a, a mega beast um and i still do stuff for him now and then um did you ever get to meet john jasper yeah yeah legend yeah. guy he was one of the first as well he just like he's all in he wants everything and he wants he wants to do it but this is ultimately how the training design was born people wanted them extras and I probably went overboard and was writing like full blown programs and like so now they're doing about twelve hours of training a night and <laughs> you get it wrong, you have to scale back and then realign and you develop yourself as a coach and, and as, as programming. But ultimately that's what started it. People wanting extras. And for me it was always a it was an extra bit of money because it became really apparent to me very quick that when you're coaching all the time. There's a, I went through every iteration of it, coaching every class I could possibly coach and then start lacking in, in other areas of my life, like being really tired at home and not looking after the kids as much as I should and my training suffering. And then 
scale down the amount of classes but adding the pts because you need to earn money and then your pt and the same sort of thing and so it was a bit of a, a thing of like oh why can't how, how can i how can i kind of top my money up without having to be stood on the gym floor all the time mm. and um and that, yeah that's where it come from there was a kind of nutrition course that i put together to get people aware of like eating better and and writing these little extras programs for people to to do over the years that turns into writing full-blown programs for, for, for the more serious people that do uh do want to compete so that's yeah that's how it came about nice and then how did the transition from the training design from the program and giving people extras and getting people on board from like an online space how does that transition from where you are today getting into that that beautiful gym that you got so this is amazing like this is this is this is like kind of where the story starts it's um it's uh i worked at the affiliate for for years or i worked at cm2 for for years probably best part of 10 years um obviously the world went mental with the pandemic everything everything was mad so i started picking up more and more um online had to had to pick up more and more online work um to kind of get by and i'm just i was so lucky the the people that kind of had my back and kind of followed me and and kind of gave me work and and kind of kept me in the game as well because then at that point you're not you're not coaching and and at this point as well, I put so much in programming was always a thing that really fascinated me. Like, I there's no there's no special secret to it. A lot a lot of people think there's the special one that's going to take them to the next level, and it's the game changer. And there isn't. There's just smart programming and, and not so smart programming, and then good coaches that understand what that person needs at the right time and that fascinated me and i put myself through a whole load of kind of education in these 10 12 years or whatever that i was coaching again i think i was lucky i found resources that i just resonated with me so i delved massively into um power athlete john wellborn and the boys like they're amazing at the, the content and the stuff they know is, is brilliant group strength in the early days uh, i would jump on programs the training plan group strength for uh, jst do you remember the jst days yeah. and just learn everything from from what i was seeing in these programs and what i thought was too much and what i thought was silly and what was not and and later on down the line i've spent most of my time learning through training think tank now to me, those guys are on another level. What they're what they're doing in house with their their guys called Evan, um, who does a lot of like the kind of physiological testing on athletes, the kind of the sport knowledge. Now, what they're pushing to get people better at the sport of CrossFit, a lot of this day to day, I don't implement in any way because I the 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 base of my kind of clients are people that want crossfit for health and fitness but again it goes back to that understanding why why do people struggle with thrusters and pull-ups why does that guy breathe like that like why does his legs blow up and he's don't and you know all of all of this stuff uh, and they they have a lot of the answers their kind of educational process is amazing and i've done 
I've done their educational process. I've had mentorships with the guy Evan Pike on. Um, Geezer's on another level. I have to I have to talk to him and then disappear for six months to figure out what's going on. He's like he's on another level. But all of these kind of resources, I spent all of these years accumulating like knowledge to put into programming and make things a little bit more smart. And uh, that's where it kind of led me. I was in this opportunity now where I was, I was programming for people and for everyday people as well. One of the stigmatisms that comes a little bit actually with my my closest group of friends all happen to be fucking animals at CrossFit, which is it's good and bad. They they're amazing at how I can develop programs through them. They don't realise how much they help me. Like they think I'm helping them. They're the they're the most amazing group of friends and athletes I've lucky enough to spend my time with. Um, but it can then look like you're a bit of a, a competitive or elite kind of gym. And, and we're not, you're never going to be the, the elite and the, and the, the best of the best of the smallest amount of people, aren't they? But yeah. yeah, I gained all this kind of knowledge over time to, to help people and things, things just, didn't pan out for where I was working and then it's amazing the, the story is mad so we get on to, to James Pumo um, a guy that I've actually known for years years and years and he's a guy that kind of propped up in my life on and off over and over he, he's obviously a really good friend of mine now and it's um someone i spent loads of time with and it just changed a lot of things for me so growing up when i first had a motorbike on the road and i'm swinging it back to the to the bikes <laughs> <laughs> there was a a motorbike shop and uh and a car a car place that sold car parts my dad my dad's dream was to own a ferrari one day and he used to, he used to love cars and bikes I obviously loved the bikes. We used to go to this motorbike shop. My dad had a motorbike at the time as well. And I used to sneak next door into this unit and it had this uh, Lamborghini V12 engine and it had been made into a table with a glass top. I'd sneak in there and just like look at it. Every opportunity I could when I was at the bike shop and I'd go back and forth. And that was James. That was James's unit. And I remember my dad speaking to James a few times as well, but I'd be like looking at the bike or looking at this kind of this... Uh, this table so yeah i was in james's company on and off a fair few times as, as a, a younger guy and then years down the road um once when my dad had died he'd been lucky enough to own a ferrari at this point and we had this fucking ferrari sitting there it was just like oh what are we gonna do with this and it was that was a really hard thing for me as well me and my dad used to go up the local airfield He'd let me drive it about and stuff like that. And we spent a lot of time in this car. So coming to sell it, at one point, I was keeping it running. I'd take it out on the roads and stuff. Like, and I just remember being like, shit, this isn't right. This is this is dad's dream. And I'm fucking driving about in this. Like, we do have to, we have to sell this. So we started to try and sell this Ferrari. And my mum kind of took charge of that. But then obviously the, the amount of piss takers out there with a woman trying to sell a Ferrari was unbelievable. Um, but luckily enough, we we um, got hold of James and 
James knew someone that would have it and it was it felt the right thing so I remember it was my birthday it was the 8th of December I had to drive this Ferrari to James and, and say goodbye to it and it was just the worst feeling ever but the right thing to do mm. and so again James had kind of cropped up there and then years down the line I mean see him too and I'm seeing this guy being PT'd by Rob I'm looking at him thinking fucking know this guy and I'd probably been in two or three times and then I was just like I think actually he turned around to me and said you're not Tom Marchant's son are you and I was like yeah like you're James it's like fucking hell so like on and off James had just always been there and, and you know James it's just like just the most legit guy just normal dude yeah so yeah on and off spent time with him PT'd him at CM2 a few times and trained with him and just becomes one of the lads and one of your kind of uh, group of friends. And then during this time, so pandemic and stuff is all kicking off and the world's all mad. I started PTing James at his, uh, at his work unit. So I don't live in Chelmsford. I live like in a place called Great Yeldham. It's about an hour away from Chelmsford. His business is in a place called Halstead and it's just up the road from my kind of family home. So, um, I started PTing him. So again, like he was kind of in my life helping me out and just being a little bit older, I suddenly realized just how much someone like James can teach you. Mm -hmm. Just being in his presence, just it kind of blew my mind. I was a bit, I, I was a little bit down. Things were going wrong where I was working. I was struggling. I was going through a divorce. Everything was tits up, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and James, the, the positivity of him, like he hasn't had it easy and he kicks on. And I used to just, I used to just fire questions at him, weird questions, probably looking back at it, I've probably done his head in. He only wanted to be PT. <laughs> I would just ask him everything and, and like anything and everything, like how, how he talks to his staff, like, I don't know, like the weirdest things, like what what you do with this, and trying to understand his business, not not for any real reason, but the amount of stuff he must have going on in his head, and he still operates like a normal guy and gives people time, and he's nice to people, and you know, it, he fascinated me, and I was just like, Jesus, this he he kind of he gave me more confidence like just just speaking to I, I don't even know how to sum it up in words but i was like pting him like the pting almost every day and what i felt that he kind of taught me he was like a mentor he's like a don't want it to sound like i was sort of like using him to glean information like he's a friend for first and foremost but what i felt like i was learning from him was unbelievable mm. and he's just he's just mad he's he's mental he said to me he said to me sort of like a few times like oh if if, if anything goes really tits up and you need help like i've got your back you know like and he, he sort of said that a few times and a lot of people say that and you know what again i'm so lucky so many people have said that to me over the years and kind of patted me on the back and helped me do what i do and 90% of them people are actually really genuine and they do help you in when, when you're having a rough time. Um, but James, I remember, I remember the session as well. I kind of walked in 
into the PT session, we he stood there and he was kind of warming up on this kind of squat rack. And I said to him, like thing, things had gone tits up and it was time for me to to kind of move on. And at this point, you know what? I was not even sure if I'd stay in the fitness industry. There was so much going on in, in my kind of personal life and my head that I didn't know what I was going to do. And I said to James, things have gone tits up. And without a, without a blink, he was like, let's get to work then. And let's open this, let's do what we've talked about and, and let's open a let's open a gym. And we'd not we'd not sat down and talked about it. It wasn't like a huge thing, but he knew he knew I've always wanted to own a gym. And I just there's there's probably parts of that game that um I know where my strengths and weaknesses are within the business and within what we do. Um and, and he knows my strengths and weaknesses as well. But the way there was there was no hesitation. Let's go. Mm. right move and he's he's so scary like that he's so so quick to make decisions and he just he's a businessman and he just goes and you're like whoa fucking hell but mm. it's so casual and it scares the life out of me i'm just like whoa, whoa hang on oh well, let's think about this or do this and he's just like let's go so meeting james and being in james's yeah, being in James's kind of presence changed so much. I don't think he realizes how much because he's just so casual with, with what he does day to day. That whole experience at a time where you're on your ass a little bit, you meet certain people that are just like, oh, I'm, I'm meant to be in this. Uh, this sounds a bit hippie. I'm meant to be in this situation right now. And, yeah. and luckily I was. And through through James, um, we sat down, we started talking about how what we could do to, to make the training design an actual gym. And uh and we did it. Like it's it's just mad. Like I I've always dreamt pretty big when it comes to the gym. It's always been there and I've always dreamt pretty big. But James, you know you know James, like he he dreams big bigger than my dreams and then does bigger than that <laughs> and it scares the life out of me i'm like oh i don't know what to do with this and do with that but man yeah that's that's how it got rolling and, and you know what it's like uh it's a it's such a hard thing for me because this whole thing has happened now we, we're working and, and we're we're building a, a new business yet there's there's so many people to thank throughout this whole process get into where we've got to now and like by no means we've not made it yet we're i've now probably got another 10 years of absolute savage intensity of work to get this thing to what i think it can be um but there's so many people and it's been so hard for me there's so many like thank yous that i've wanted to do and it's so difficult because you end up leaving people out somewhere along the way because it's almost it's almost threefold of kind of of kind of thank yous i've had 12 years of being in an affiliate with 10 to 12 years of being in, in this affiliate with with people that every day come in and pat you on the back and shake your hand they love the workout or they love the cue you gave them and or you you made their day better like we were saying earlier like and this is everyone this is like you included and just Every, uh, there's too many people 
but these people give you the belief like oh i i can do this as my job like there's there's times where i think oh, i'm fucking shit at coaching i don't know anything and oh what should i do but these people over all the time they thank me so much but it's their constant pat on the back that is just it elevates you and, and i wish people understood how much they they really do and then and then you've got this i've got this closer group of friends that they're amazing every one of them emily emily hart tom uh tom arch and adam and josie lee tor these people that i'm around every day they they don't realize how much they help so emily stepped in when when i come away from from working at cm2 i was kind of bouncing i didn't know what i was going to do and um i started to program the affiliate program for crossfit 13 and she to this day they, they kind of helped me develop that process and they gave me that opportunity again and it it was amazing to have that kind of tie and i could do some weightlifting classes there and things like that and the this small group of friends that i spend all the time with they don't realize how much john jasper in there as well they they don't realize how much um of the training design is them nothing happens with the training design without me probably sneakily putting it past them they're my constant sounding board nothing happens without them every decision i make goes through them and i i get their feedback and and they guide me so much it's really it's really hard because that's like the next level of of people to think like they i don't know how to put it in words i really struggle with this but yeah they they just don't get it they don't get how much how much they change it they massively change it for me and having them around me is it's amazing then the next kind of tier of people is then becomes james with without james the place would not be there it just it wouldn't be there and it wouldn't be as fucking amazing as it as it is and it's not just james the the three people that that people probably don't get to see as much is james um dan there's a guy called dan boniface he's well behind the scenes people probably don't even know this guy exists he works for james and the work he's put in to the gym helping with the lease understanding this stuff the his honestly like the, the place just would not be there without james it wouldn't be there without dan and it wouldn't be there without katie so katie my girlfriend everything gets run past her as well i i talk at her constantly about ideas and like uh, i say i know my kind of strengths um and my weaknesses and some of my weaknesses is knowing how to start my idea it's really weird i come up with a plan and i hold everything in here and sometimes i hold it in here for ages before i start filtering it out and trying to get help with how i do this kate is really good at understanding the fucking nonsense that i come up with and helping me make that into a working plan and what to do to make that happen get the ball rolling yeah super efficient at just doing stuff and and just helping me helping me do it and it's i'm so lucky i get to be like the little front man of the training design and stand inside my dream gym and all of that but without that kind of three 
tier of people it just honestly wouldn't be there it sounds so cheesy to say it but it, it just wouldn't mm. without, without katie nothing would happen without dan nothing would happen without without james and still to this day i just constantly just ask james things he must do his head in but just constantly lean on them and and then yeah my, my group of friends constantly leaning on them and I, we put out a i can't even remember how the quote goes again it's something i'm gonna butcher but i put it out as a message after we did strength in depth and it's about that quote where people say the like you are the accumulation of the people the five people you hang around with and something like that and I, I stumbled across this thing that said it's much more than that it's the people you interact with over your lifetime and and it's a much much bigger circle than that and i truly get it because it really is the the training design would not have happened without without you without that person's granddad that i trained 10 years ago with without my group of friends that are just constantly holding me up without james dan without katie it just wouldn't happen mm. it's a really hard thing though to to thank and get people to understand how much it means you know it's, it's so difficult well, i mean look firstly this this go back to james because firstly what what a beast of a man anyway but what a beast of a businessman to have in your corner yeah. um you know he, he's and i mean this positively james he's been around the block uh, in regards to you know business knowledge and sense and awareness so like you say if if the programming and the and the facilities and the equipment is is your strength then clearly he's a successful businessman you know he, he's i'm sure had many failures over the years that he can put into this project that he and that's probably where he's got that confidence from because yeah you guys obviously complement one another um and he's seen that in you as well and i love the way that your paths are sort of crossed over different periods in your life crazy isn't it yeah he's obviously been a strong strong pillar for you over the years and it's you know it's just i'm a firm believer in karma and your path you know gets sort of carved out in uh and people talk about luck but it's, it's not luck it's about preparedness and yeah. not being in the right place at the right time but but you're there and you're ready to take that opportunity and smash it and keep going and not stopping because i think what i'm picking up on and correct me if i'm wrong but you, you sound like you you've got a very creative brain but there's probably a little bit of a perfectionist in holding either holding you back or not quite knowing you say openly admitting not knowing where to actually get this idea moving yeah what this um core of people around you that that help you because they one they want to help you because they get um you know similar positiveness back from you but also that support to be able to visualize and and, and see your dream and, and get it out to actually play in in real life is a uh, you know people want to support good ideas and, and good things so I'll always remember you know goldie the drum and bass yeah there was a, an advert for him i think it was technics but headphones and it said getting you closer to the sound in his head mm, yes. remember an interview with him like he said he's never made the perfect song from his head to the actual speakers like he'll spend years and years mastering a certain beat or track and uh, he said it's very rare that he gets fully over what he wants to yeah. um, but obviously the mix the different bits of 
equipment in the studio and stuff helps him get that sound out of his head so he can hear it over speakers and watch people dance to it and you know you've got a similar thing going on when you look around a class of you know your your members and your friends and your business partners and your colleagues and your and your girlfriend you know are all able to to take in that moment with you yeah and it sort of leads me on to my next question really like have you had have you had a minute to reflect and sort of look at you know how have you taken a second to feel the proudness of of what you've built up with the community and the gym or is it so fresh and so new it's all a bit of a whirlwind still yeah it's still so fresh and so new it's is i had one moment it was weird and it was it was the other day and it was weird you never know when these moments kind of hit you it's really strange because i'm not i'm not like an a i'm really not an emotional person but i feel i am with this because of the help i've had and because of like how much my friends mean to me backing me it, i really have that with this and i was in the gym the other day and it's weird katie actually wasn't there she was on holiday and james weren't there either but there was a class going on we had like 12 people in a class and seven people or so in open gym and they were all my my friends like the people in the class are my friends but there was my my close group were there emily was there tom was there and lee and tor and johnny jasper and everyone was there and uh it just hit me like totally out of the blue i just had this lump in my throat and i just thought holy fuck like this is it this is what this is truly what i put it together for like all of those all of those little pats on the back over the years again this sounds so cheesy i don't i hate kind of thinking it or saying it out loud but the place is there for for everyone it's not it, it's it's obviously been my dream to have this place and to have such an amazing facility is just the the cherry on the cake but you lot all deserve it this is what you all deserve like i want you to have the best coaching you can have and i think we have that there i want you to have the best facility we can have i want i want the best equipment uh, you all deserve that because you will put me in a position for me to pull this off and sounds that sounds so cheesy don't it but this is what we deserve and i want i want us to enjoy it i want us all to use it and enjoy it and the guys emily and that were all doing like some handstand thing where they're walking along and doing handstand push-ups and stuff like that and they were having a mega time they were all laughing and and just playing with fitness and and yeah that that was my first moment that i just thought it's for one it's being used how I want it to be used. Everyone looks so happy and just like fucking hell, this is it. What a place to, to celebrate your fitness, you know, to have your friends around you, to have people that are have got, you know, whether it's gymnastics, weightlifting, conditioning, you know, got got a skill or a desire to improve their own baseline level of fitness, you know, whether that's the first person who walks into your gym who's not done anything for 10 years or mm. you know used to be a high level athlete or is someone that's been in the crossfit space for 10 or 12 years or you know what what a place to come and celebrate and people are attracted and and will magnetize naturally to where people feel comfortable or feel that they get a good level of service or skill or expertise like that that will always naturally progress and i think that just you know the 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 following that you've got you know with your 
your regulars and now you're in your gym i think that's just a credit to you and i know you're you're very humble and you want to thank everyone else that's been part of your journey but um i think you should also you know take a, a minute to to you know realize that you've been the, the backbone the, the spine behind all of that so yeah man congratulations mate it's, it's nice of you to say it's it's amazing the facility is just amazing isn't it so i'm so lucky i i love it i love it and i love the the prospect like the new like the new thing for me which i didn't realize i would love so much is i love coaching and i'm always going to be a coach and i'll always be there to do that but the prospect of growing a business now like the ideas that i get to put into place to try and play out and coming up with those ideas and how i implement it's all it's all new territory to me it's, speaking about how we market and what we try and do with our marketing and i've always been about like getting the program on point and getting the coaching on point and that will never change that's always going to be there but yeah the new sides of the, the new sides of the business as well like really i'm surprised how much that makes me tick as well and like what can we do next what can how am i going to grow this or what am i going to try and i love that i love mm -hmm. it again it's like my my group of friends i just i bounce all of that off of them it's like a yeah it's a constant conversation i always get that feedback someone like lee's really good he'll give you he'll give you very blunt feedback <laughs> oh, the idea he'll tell you <laughs> he won't hold back yeah where, where do you think this um because I, I think a lot of what you talk about you know whether it's your motorcycle days your crossfit your coaching your, your gym your business you're programming there seems to be like a reoccurring theme of of you know different ranges of being competitive mm. where does that drive where does that competitive come from is that something you've always feel like you've had inside you or was there sort of a spark or a moment that that kicked that not sure i think it's i think it's always i think it's always been there i think i, I never i've never known any any different and it, it's weird how it it's weird how it like progresses like from being like wanting to be <laughs> that's a weird thought that came into my head but i remember being at sports day at a really early early age and it mattering so much to me that i threw the fucking cricket ball the furthest you know like it was it was huge there was a couple of uh, a couple of twins um i can't remember one of their names now uh, william and tom hardy they were like supernatural athletes they were fucking animals um but I knew I could throw the ball further than them. So it was like, uh, it was a huge thing. So I remember even from that, from throwing a ball the furthest, but now even to the competitiveness to, to make a successful business. So such a different thing, but same feeling. And I don't know really where it comes from. I, mean, I really don't, but it, yeah, it's obviously just been there all the time. Mm. And for people listening that are near the Chelmsford area and and want to come down and, and try the gym, just just because it gets, I know it gets a bit wordy, the fitness space, and people that have, you know, not sure or think that that's something that they could never do or wouldn't be for them. Like, just give me, like, what do you think, or, or just give me an overview of what functional fitness is for you? So for me, it's literally about about people being able to move and feel fit so they can live their life like that really is that really is it for me like people know that i'm um that i love to see 
big tomage ripping 240 kilo deadlifts off the floor and stuff but i'm very very well aware that's what he needs for his sport i'm really aware that that david neil who comes to the gym needs to be strong enough to move his shopping from his car and stuff like that and and live his life and bend his knees to pick his kids off the grandkids off the floor and and stuff like this so it's it really is about being fit enough for your life and what your life requires um, and we really do cater for that as well we've been very i think we've been very thoughtful of how we can cater for the competitive crossfit athlete and still have that same connection with with the person who's there just to improve their life sweet love it rich i think now's a perfect time to dip into our um final round of chasing discomfort questions that we finish off the podcast with so number one what's the best advice you've ever been given it's a funny one um i think the best advice i was ever given actually was my dad i don't even know entirely how it came up but i remember him saying to me once that there's people in life that just take and there's people in life that give as well and you've got to be quick to figure out those people and it's always always stuck with me because it's just true some people they're not even bad people but i think some people do just want to take constantly they might not realize they do it and then that's not any kind of real um specific scenario it's just mm-hmm. it's just kind of in them so yeah that's probably that is probably it just and I think I've got a really good radar for that. I think I can very instantly know the people that are just going to take. Like I said, though, I don't think they're bad people, but it's just different. Yeah, that's a lovely answer. What's the one non-negotiable rule that you live by? Tough one. For me, I think it's politeness. It's so simple. Mm. I, I tap my kids up on it constantly. There's, there's nothing that fucks me off more than hearing someone be rude. I can't stand it and I hear it every day in shops, in queues, the way some youngsters even talk to each other, yeah. not knowing that they're being rude. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the new breed. I hate it. I hate rudeness. Don't be rude to people. Treat people where you want to be treated, right? Yeah. Everyone deserves to have respect. Yeah. Basic manners. Yeah. Favorite quote? favorite quote this one i don't even know if this is really the the right wording of it again i'm probably butchering some old masters <laughs> words but it goes along the lines of the the in the depth of disaster lies opportunity nice it's just so true yeah and again it's kind of a real blanket thing it applies to so many things it might be just support you're given or literal opportunities to go and run with but it to me it's just so true you think at some point in your life unfortunately for some people multiple times in your life you're going to be on your ass and you're going to be fucked and there's you still there's still some growth there there's still something to learn there's still an opportunity and you have to find it and go with it it's mindset isn't it and and i get that there will be um you know whether that's mental disorders or or conditions that might prevent from see someone seeing a certain perspective of, of something 
but you know life's hard life's meant to be hard you know it wasn't yeah. that long ago that we was being chased by you know we was prey we, we weren't always at the top um and you know you just got to lean into that hardness and it, it won't last forever um you know lean into discomfort push back um always see something as an opportunity to grow to get better um you know whether that's through uh what might immediately see like a, a real desperate shit situation come out swinging come out fighting you know give yourself to a minute to regroup breathe and then get cracking yeah definitely i'm going to amend this question because it's dream car but i've got a feeling we're going to go down the motorcycle road again so dream machine oh mate there's just too many i'm still <laughs> such an absolute like i'm an absolute hooligan at heart if i if i ever had the money i would buy so many toys and they would <laughs> all have engines they would all be very loud <laughs> for a bike for me it would probably have to be a some sort of ducati or just a thoroughbred race bike if i could get my hands on a on a gp race bike and buy one of them oh god it would just be amazing two dinner guests you'd invite either dead or alive do you know what that probably just there's so many people in the world there's so many interesting stories but it would just be my mum and my dad hmm. simple yeah beautiful answer mate what is your ring walk or your hype song what's the one that gets you in the mood to do you know i think i'm again we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier but i think i'm i think i'm the exact opposite in a way i I grew up in a in a household that loved music. We had music on every day, um, reggae and Motown and, and uh, just loads of cool music. And I love music. My brother's a musician, um, but when it comes when it comes to that, I I don't think I've got one. I don't hear it. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm so far the other way. I I especially when I was racing, I've never found the same mindset. Um, with CrossFit because the the stakes I guess are not as as high the consequences are not as high if I fuck up a workout or just fuck up a workout if you if you mess up your race you're, you're on the floor but that that yeah. mindset was always just that's all I needed it was just so and there was nothing there was nothing going on it was everything and nothing there was no there was no thinking of my dad or thinking of my kids or you know it was just yeah just a very very quiet place yeah yeah it's the noise book you've read more than once and why do you know what there's not many i don't actually read many books um i'm not a massive reader i, I struggle i've uh i'm dyslexic and reading is still one of them things that is just so so hard for me i, I just have no attention span for it um mm unless it's something to do with bikes i would read bike magazines and i would read um things about the, the kind of the fitness industry stuff the stuff i learned from training think tank a lot is fuck, that's a heavy read but for me mm. i know these are pretty shit answers but not a big reader i'm more of a i'm more of a listener and then like a, a practical application person no they're good answers mate because they they're unique to you and they're honest so that's what i appreciate um favorite film favorite film well, man that's well difficult i'm not <laughs> sure i have one of them either i i get quite into like uh like the um 
Disney cars. I used to love that, but then how can you ever ignore Rocky? Like, <laughs> man, if that doesn't stir the emotions, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, that's. I've got a feeling that that film has affected quite a few uh, kids born in the eighties. Yeah, and onwards. Um, what do you do when you start feeling a bit off or a bit down? Do you know what? What I do now is it's, it's so amazing. If I'm ever feeling a bit off, I ring my kids. Cody is just, he's just amazing. Just yeah, it doesn't matter how shit you're feeling. Get hold of him on the phone or go and see him. And he just says the funniest stuff. He doesn't. He doesn't know how amazing he is. But both my kids, Cody and Casey, yeah, ring those guys up. We we said I went to Legoland with the twins yesterday, and uh, they they'd not seen candy floss before. And there was a kid in front of him eating a bucket of candy floss. And Leo just innocently went, "Daddy, why would you eat fluff?" Bless <laughs> him. <laughs> So I just love that innocence about them. You know, they're, like you say, they've got such a, a ball of energy, but yeah. also that, that innocence is, is brilliant. Um, your favourite method of recovery? Sitting down and drinking tea. I love it. Like, yeah. this is probably the longest I've ever been without a cup of tea sitting on, on this call. Please tell me you, you're Yorkshire, man. I'm a PG Tips man. Ah, oh, Rich. I used to like you, bro. <laughs> I'm always the PG. For Yorkshire. Yorkshire tea, though, I must admit, it is very good tea. The um, If there isn't, if I can't get hold of PG Tips, it'll definitely be Yorkshire. But PG have now got a strong tea bag. It's next level. It's like fucking catnip. Like 120 kilo snatches. Oh, mate, it's just amazing. I, I can't get enough of it. I, I literally kind of back-to-back -back tea, I chain tea in all day long. But I think that is literally still my, my favourite thing, just sitting down on my own and drinking tea, chilling out. Last week, I'd done seven days of caffeine-free, and it got to Sunday morning. I was going for a run, and I had two mugs of tea with two Yorkshire tea bags in each of them. <laughs> After after about 20, 30 minutes later, I was off my tits. Really? <laughs> off my tits for that's the, that's all the caffeine I need, mate. I'm I must be so caffeine sensitive. <laughs> um your favorite method of recovery. Sorry, what, what what a fucking English way to say what do you do when you start for here? I have a cup of tea, sir. <laughs> Eden brought it up on the last um, podcast, and he said he's one of his favourite things to do was to dunk biscuits in his tea. Mate. Really? How, how English are we? I've not listened to Redden's podcast yet with you. I've got to yeah. go back and listen to that. He's legit. He's, he's legit. He's good catch up. He's he's a funny lad. He's amazing, isn't he? Your favourite method of recovery? Wasn't that the tea question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're on the ball. You can tell I've not had a cup of tea today. Spirit animal. So again, I think probably I'm probably so boring, but I don't think I've got one. Oh, okay. So if you could be an animal for a day, what would you be? Be an animal for a day. I think I'd be. Um, I think people hate them, but I think I'd be a hyena. I love them. What, just for the love? They're little fucking menaces, aren't they? They chip around. Yeah. They look scruffy little little things. 
but they just look like they're always up to something. So I'd probably, I'd probably be a little hyena for a day and see what they're getting up to. Got the strongest neck in the animal kingdom, those guys there. Are they really? Oh, mate, they're just, they're just beasts. You look at them like, look at their traps, they're yeah. sharper in their neck. They could rip the head off an elephant in they're the like sprawls. Yeah, they are, <laughs> they are brutes. Like to survive in that environment anyway, but to then go and nick prey off of like a leopard or a cheetah or, or a lion like they are just scavenger packs that cheeky they're, they're the they're the group of bullies at school and they like you ain't fucking with them no matter what i've always wanted a dog that like looked like one of them because they look they look scruffy and horrible but i just don't know why i really like them yeah you'd have to get get a dog and having him doing shrugs every yeah, day him shrugged up <laughs> what's your mantra when the going gets tough that's a tough one. Whenever I see, whenever I see that sentence, I just think of the Billy Ocean song. Like that's literally all the plays. My mum used to play Billy Ocean all the time, and when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, and all that. It's, uh, mm. but for me, it's for me, it's literally just, just keep going. You just got to keep going. There was a, wasn't it like the Churchill quote, like never, never, never give up. Like that is just a. Yeah, when stuff is tough, you fucking get your head down and you just yeah. take the next step forward. What's the next thing to do? Just do that because then there'll be another next thing to do and you do that. <laughs> yeah, crack on. Yeah. Forward. Favourite treat? Treat, uh, 100% pizza. <laughs> Extra special question then. Do you have pineapple on your pizza? No, Katie used to go on about that a lot and dirty habit. Oh man! <laughs> Do you go for the pineapple? Well, not I honestly. Can't remember the last time I ate pizza, but pineapple on a pizza was it a Hawaiian ham and Hawaiian, pineapple? Yeah, yeah, that used to rock my world. I love it. I used to as a kid. I used to uh, we used to go to this little pizza place in Headingham, and I'm sure they had a piranha in a fish tank there. I'm sure they did. And um, yeah, we used to get uh, I used to get the Hawaiian back then, back in the eighties. It was a it was a mega deal. But yeah. now. It's pretty much any pizza, to be honest, though. I love it. Love it. A little segue into the piranha thing just reminded me of a story. So I, I bought eight piranhas, and um, I kept on going to the same pet shop and buying the goldfish to feed them. <laughs> and it, it got to about the probably sixth, seventh time of going in there and buying these bag of goldfish. And the guy said to me, what are you doing with all these goldfish? I said, oh, I've got piranhas. And he thought I was joking, and like I just, no, I got piranhas. Like I, I feed them the the fish. That's what I've been advised to to feed them. And he grabbed hold of the bag and he went, "Don't come back." He went, you, "You're not having these fish." And I thought he was mucking around. And he's like, "Get out of my shop." I was like, "Okay, I'll go somewhere else." Maybe sure. That's not It's real life. This is nature. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Anyways, get back on track. Favourite place in the UK? Favorite, uh, I've probably got two, you know. Um, one, uh, my mum and dad's house. It's an amazing place to go. It's out in the country. It's tucked away. It's fields all around. I used to just ride motorbikes around the fields as a kid all day long. And you go through that time of your life where you're like late teens and you want to get away and you want to go to the cities and and it was only like later on in life when i started especially started racing where you'd come back from the most hectic weekends and go back to this little paradise out in the 
out in the country in the woods and and just be there no noise no anything it's really dark at night and loads of stars shooting stars constantly where it's just open and fields and that's like a really nice it's a really nice place to be so that's definitely that's definitely one of them i take the kids back there on weekends and they love it they get to do all the things that i did when i was growing up and uh the other place probably alton park another racetrack up in cheshire just mental racetrack it's so good it's so much fun to ride a bike around there it's just mega on a, on a nice sunny day there's nothing like that i know you'd get back to motorcycle somehow <laughs> <laughs> top bucket list pick this could either be something that you want to do or you've already done what's up there that you want to tick off god i actually don't know i don't know i'm very i'm very simple i'm really simple unless it's not like there's thousands of things i could pick out the air for all all again motorbike related about tracks i'd want to go to on bikes and all that sort of shit. but that's just loads of stuff but the, the top bucket list thing for me sounds a weird one but is to take my kids to disney world in florida just not weird at all man it's beautiful i love that I, I went there i was lucky enough i think i went there twice as a kid we did like universal studios and all that sort of stuff and the memories of it i i absolutely loved it and cody and casey are them type of kids where they're so excitable they're they're lovely they've both got really like infectious laugh i know everyone says this about their kids don't they fucking everyone would but <laughs> when you see the when you see the happiness on them it's so free-flowing happiness i just yeah. that's that's like that's my number one thing and you see their faces light up with just pure joy and yeah i love it amazing what's your favorite and least favorite exercise movements favorite my favorite could be it could well be the muscle up the ring muscle up i think it's a it's still something that's like a, a fearful thing for me in workouts like in metcons uh, i think it doesn't matter how good you are at crossfit i think they're they're a concern for everyone in a in a workout they're very hard i think yeah. they're a mega a mega kind of strength tool strict muscle ups and things like that least favorite it's got to be a thruster still <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is the movement of devil in it mad isn't it? like i've never quite i've never quite felt like i broke the back of the thruster i don't know what you need to do to uh for me to be good at doing thrusters but i just hate them breaks my back mate every time doing yeah. it they just suck don't they i think i don't know if it's because you've got that front squat position where it's in the front rack and coming down on your chest and you feel like you can't breathe like the mm -hmm of coming out the bottom of it do you know um, what? that's the, the you've touched on probably the biggest thing you know what most people can do to be better in in all forms of metcon but the the, the thruster as a movement highlights it so much and it is breathing mechanics mm -hmm. most most people have got such kind of poor thoracic extension it hampers their their ribcage their diaphragm how it can move if you think about that just being in a front rack it's the the diaphragm is being stressed at this point as it mm. is and then overhead 
again, this is why anything overhead becomes hard. If you haven't got that thoracic extension, people, a lot of people think they've got shitty shoulders for CrossFit, but they haven't. They've got poor back mechanics and, and breathing mechanics. If you want to get, if you want to get better at kind of Metcons and them sort of breathing movements, then 100% look at how you're breathing in positions. It's, it's huge. We could go down loads and loads of kind of training rabbit holes with this sort of stuff. But yeah, you, you touched on it there. It's the breathing. It fucks people. Let's do it then. So like, cause it's, it's a thing that I've really experimented the last few years. And I know Chris Henshaw, aerobic capacity, he's getting it in with his, with his athletes now doing like the, and it, he's, he sort of packaged it. It's not really the Wim Hof breathing. It's more the Tibetan, um, tumor monks you know the style of breathing that they're doing but have you ever done any sort of specific breathing drills or breath work with any of your athletes no so there's still the actual breathing and the whole kind of those kind of breathing styles like the wim hof and all this sort of stuff i'm actually a bit late to the to the party on a lot of this sort of thing um and it's something i'll i'm definitely kind of on the list to to look into but for me it's more about Again, this is all things kind of picked up through through training think tank, but looking at, at like the sport of CrossFit and and fitness and and how to how to get people better and what their actual limiter is in the sport, it fucking fascinates me of of like what's going on with the body and stuff like that and and breathing is like one aspect of it. If you're mm. if you're not breathing properly and kind of getting in and out what you need to do um or how quick you're you're kind of generally desaturating yourself from oxygen these are these are like there's all i don't know how to put it they're they're the limitations they're that's what for the higher level guys that's what they're having to deal with how quick they're they're desaturating themselves and what's the what's the offshoot the body does so many things if you're if you're not delivering if you're not delivering oxygenated blood well enough, there's always a cascade of events and and adaptations and things that happen off the back of that. And or if you're not breathing off CO2 well enough and your rib and your diaphragm's not working well enough, like again, you kind of end up desaturating yourself in ways. But then there's a different outcome, and there's so much to it, and it it, it massively that's what kind of led me down to some of the more specific programming kind of protocols is not everything works if i want to get you good at a, a 2k row there is a different way to maybe what suits me and there just is some people still don't believe that but there is and there is things that your body will do that is different to mine it's in our genetics in our physiology and figure out what your limiter is and then start training for it it's like the it's like the steady state running thing like obviously chris Hinshaw made that that massive and so everyone will do kind of zone two or whatever you might want to call it steady aerobic work. Um, and I'm not saying he's wrong at all. He's obviously not, but then there is, there is people where that steady aerobic work within their physiology isn't creating the adaptation of steady aerobic work because of their physiology. And we need to, understand that and give them the right protocol so they do get that aerobic adaptation it's very it, it fascinates me what what i've noticed and i can put you in contact with someone because he's back from australia until the end of october if you even wanted to run like a workshop at, at your place 
Um, but what, what I've noticed is that by doing the breathing protocols, I'm able to overload my system with oxygen, but also remove the carbon dioxide, which is what makes us want to breathe in the first place. But from a performance increase, I've never seen anything like it. And just just typify like the press up. It's a very basic body weight movement. Don't need any equipment. You just need a floor. I'll do three rounds of breathing, roll over. And so at the moment, I'm up to 90 unbroken press-ups. The, the end goal is to get to 100. I'm getting closer. Like I can do, I do 71 every day unbroken as, as like my sort of new baseline. Um, but if I was to do press-ups without doing those three rounds of breathing, I'd probably burn out around about sort of 50, 60. So just by adding in those three rounds of breathing, I'm able to get another 30, 40 reps on top. And I'd love to be able to see someone of like, you know, Redden or even you or, or like uh, Lee's sort of, uh, or one of the girls that you train. I'd love them to be able to go through like three or four rounds of breathing protocol. And if anyone's interested, I'm more than happy to, to help walk them through it. And then they go and hit like a qualifier, like even if it's a redo, just to see like the composure that it would give to their breathing, the control, the sense of perception, because you are changing your 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 chemistry within your body. And I'd love to see that come from a more of a, a wellness mental health space into a fitness protocol. I'd love to be able to see an athlete trial that just from my again, you know, not everything works for everyone, but I do think there could be massive benefit for someone who's on the cusp of of going from good to great you know what you could do pre-workout with a, with a breath cycle to be able to potentially sort of get a better performance out of them yeah definitely i think there's i definitely think there's um yeah there, there's legs in that like the what where my mind goes is is thinking of the the limitations that that people generally show and this is definitely talking about more of the, the higher level kind of crossfitters but the limitation you see is like either the the heart not being kind of strong enough to 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 push through blockages kind of created by yourself so john jasper is a is an amazing example of this so um if you can imagine john jasper for people that don't know is kind of like i don't know a little bit smaller than me i'm like five foot seven so he's probably around that five six five seven weighs probably 85 odd kilos very muscular very tight short levers just a little fucking pit bull of a man um and he's that classic kind of delivering the heart being able to deliver that kind of oxygenated blood it just has a very very hard time and that's why you get these these kind of cascade of adaptations well that's why you see some people slab on a lot of muscle mass a lot of people had muscle mass doing crossfit because they're weight training but you've noticed it probably where people certain people put on a lot more muscle mass than others very quickly and it's because the offshoot of some of these limitations is kind of occluding muscles and poor redirection of blood flow and all this sort of stuff and so for someone like him again he's a good example of like the steady zone two training because of his poor redirection of blood flow and muscular coordination and 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 kind of uh that kind of cardiac limitation 
something like a 5k recovery run is not a recovery run for him his body is struggling and he might still be running at 130 beats a minute heart rate but it's not having it's not going to create the adaptation we we went after so you have to be a bit more calculated about what he does so that's one of them kind of limitations the other one this is where the breather i think could be like a massive help is more of that kind of respiratory limited thing so like your your diaphragm is like any other muscle it it can get tired if you've got poor breathing mechanics and you're in poor positions then it's going to show itself and again there's different ways of training to get the same result and and they all have their kind of characteristics as well like those people don't tend to slab on on muscle they've got better they've got better kind of redirection of blood flow they're they're typically more enduring and stuff like that but that's where the that's where i'd like to see the breathing um be implemented on some of these guys like i have some people do breathing drills with empty bar thrusters and things like that because there's nothing wrong with their strength there's nothing wrong with their fitness in in that but it's their it's their movement efficiency and it's it's their diaphragm and getting tired so so like the yeah i think the breathing drills could be really good positional breathing drills is is where i'd like to see it happen it's interesting as well you mentioned about the the diaphragm because i've noticed where when i sort of start the first few breaths by really pushing the diaphragm out and then going into the lungs i can feel my lower back and spine Mm. realigning so i think if people are doing these short shallow breaths you know i find myself doing it if i'm working on a laptop i might still be nasal breathing but they're just very sporadic you know, there'd be lots of time of me not breathing. Yeah. You know, a, you know, a tiny little inhale. So I think it's, um, yeah, like well, a, a rabbit hole we could probably revisit on another episode maybe. But um, oh, Jesus, yeah, training training protocols and, and what we do, why we do what we do. Jesus, that yeah. could be a long, long conversation. Uh, I've got medical tape I'm strapping my mouth up with at night. So I'm, you know, making sure I'm nasal breathing and all it's sorts of work, stuff. isn't it, to do that? Mate, you, you'd look at me sometimes, you'd think this guy needs to go in a straitjacket. <laughs> Favourite sport? Motorcycle racing. Yeah, I knew it. Fucking we all knew it, didn't we? What advice would you give to a younger you? Mate, I, I, do you know what? I think to back yourself fucking back yourself and and go that's probably a little bit of a that's a little bit of a um carry over from spending time with james again because he just he just goes he will back himself and he will go and it, it absolutely altered my mindset for how i'm gonna push the the business forward i've got i've got a lot of ideas of what i want to do and what i'm gonna implement and i think you touched on it earlier on as well where i think in the past i might have sat back and been a bit bit scared to try them because they might fail or they might not work and they're not perfect um but now i have a very different mindset to that i'm under no illusions that every idea i have is going to make the gym better there'll be things i do that well fuck it up and make it worse then again when that does happen i've got that that group of friends that can can kind of back me up on that and so i feel like i'm in such a yeah a better position for that i can i can back myself now and i will i will do it i'm under no illusions i get it always right and if i if and when i don't get it right i'll have another idea and i'll back that and i'll go with that 
that's a I think that thing. forward mentality is such a great space to be in because I've definitely suffered over the years. You know, everything has to be perfect. Everything's yeah. spot on, right on, and it's not realistic. And you, if you're not failing, I don't think you're pushing the boundaries hard enough because yeah. you're not realizing where your current limits are, or you know. And, and but when you fail, as long as you learn from it, you know, it's not a failure. So it's just about, I think, you know, just that perspective shift and just like you say, all in, back yourself, go for it enjoy the ride whatever comes of it you'll learn from it yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. future plans to make the training design amazing even more amazing than it is um i don't know in what in what form that is there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of things within the training design that i want to expand and 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 do um but yeah it's literally about just pushing that i want it to i want it to be i want it to be the best facility just anywhere like i just want it i don't know it's, it's not even like an ego thing or, or anything like that it's it's me now again it's me now backing myself and believing in the product we've got um but I want it to be seen as just hands down the place to to be and train the best coaches and the best programming and the, just just the best of the best. It, that means a lot to me because I've put my life into into gaining knowledge. I don't learn things easily, and I've, I've put my life and my money into into gaining knowledge and exposure and and how to make this something like truly a step up. I don't mean that in like terms of having elite performers everywhere but just i want a, a guy called david neil keeps um springing to mind he's in his 60s he's he's come bowling in he said the hardest thing for him was just coming through the door because he, he only found the place because he was taking his dog to the vets next door and he just stopped his daughter said stop and speak to one of them and katie was there and he can't get up off the floor because his knees hurt and all that sort of stuff and yeah. um he's in he's like he's been coming now for five weeks he's dropped over a stone in weight he's fucking loving it he's doing things he never thought he could do and it's changed his life and and that's the that's always going to be the goal to have a place that people can come and be part of a community that do that sort of stuff like this is our life we're dealing with this like you just said a minute ago let's fucking enjoy the journey yeah no it sounds epic i love those sort of stories um where can people find out more about the training design shout out all your sort of social spaces and and you know how to get in contact with you if they want to come and do a trial and see the gym for themselves so we've got a website that if you go on google and chuck in the training design limited uh, will crop up um on there kind of shows you the gym shows us shows you everything you do and there's contact numbers for me and katie um on there we give free trials as well people that do want to do that we have um we have free trials every single day um so getting in and experiencing the place is is a really easy kind of transition in um instagram and facebook with a training design on them i gotta admit i'm i'm terrible on social media it's yeah i really i really struggle with it i'm, I'm one of them people that up until now i never even used to really carry my phone i used to i hate seeing coaches 
coaching with a phone in the gym, phone in their hand. I hate it. And I do it every day because it's how I control my music and check who's coming into the next class and all that. Mm. I hate it. Um, I only ever started actually carrying a phone on me when when my ex-wife was giving birth to Cody because I knew I'd get a call at some point. I used to leave it in the in the car and stuff like that. So social media to me is a it's a real um it's one of the new things i'm having to learn even to like post the whiteboard each night and stuff like that i'm like oh my god it's, i don't know i don't know how people find the time for it it's anti-social isn't it anti-social yeah. social media like we've we've come disconnected because we've got our head in our phone um and you know i, I use it i get a quick dopamine hit from it if i'm laughing at a uh cat falling asleep off the side of a cupboard or yeah. you know, all sorts of shit that you you find yourself reaching and picking up for it and one of the hardest challenges i've ever done and i've done lots of stupid and, and good challenges but was 30 days no social media yeah and it was i i needed it because i needed a reset because i found myself just aimlessly scrolling at shit mm. and it's it's re it, yeah it was wicked like i now do phone free sundays um so i just tuck it in a drawer forget about it just in, in fully engulf my world in 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 the family time and this yeah look that technology is a great tool you know we we couldn't have done this podcast today without it but um i'm a massive believer in disconnecting and and uh getting amongst one another and, and nature as well so uh i totally totally agree with that 100 percent. I, I feel myself now now that i'm sort of on, look on instagram and stuff i um i sit there aimlessly i could definitely go without it if, if i had to do 30 days without it i know I, I could do it really easy i'd be happy to do that but now um yeah now i have my phone in my hand more than ever i really i i'm really surprised that i do it as well i'm really surprised that i'm that person that starts to do that but yeah right dude Let's wrap it up. Let's leave it there. Appreciate your time, mate. It's been epic catching up with you. You want me uh, to um, do you want me to tell you any more stories about motorbikes just before we go? <laughs> What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on a motorbike? Um, <laughs> funniest thing that yeah, it didn't happen to me, but it came into my mind straight away. At Alton Park, a lad, a lad fell off his motorbike. He high-sided himself. This must have not been funny for him. Uh, fuck me what, what does that mean high-sided so high-side is when you lose the back end of the bike so the rear wheel starts to spin oh, and, and you're always playing with this you're always getting the thing loose the back end starts to spin sends the back wheel kind of out of line but then it re-grips and it just fucking launches you over the top right? and you just hear this fucking whack of like where the revs just flap up and then boom you're gone there's no saving them and he high-sided He's gone straight up in the air. His bike is landing on its side, and he's come down, ass forwards onto his foot peg. And how how freak it entered him! And <laughs> he had a foot peg up his ass. Like that's mental. The <laughs> and he had to go to hospital. <laughs> he had to come waddling back into the garages like he was in, in my garage had to come waddling back into the garages later that night his brother told everyone what happened <laughs> he to keep it a secret we all knew and bless him he come fucking waddling back in after having some sort of foot peg removed from his ass 
walking like John Wayne, I'm yeah. sure. What a freak accident. What a perfect ending to a perfect podcast. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, let's wrap it up. Mate, thanks for your time today, man. And yeah, and, and for you, like personally, if you want to get down the, the training zone, that, that door's always open for you. 100%, mate. We're going to have a big reunion down there. Let me get yeah. this boxy mountain marathon out of the way up Snowden. Yeah. And then I can concentrate a little bit more on um, some Metcon stuff and hopefully not being the guy in the corner of the room throwing up his last meal. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gents, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed that one. We'd really appreciate if you could share this podcast with anyone that you think would gain some some knowledge or some experience, motivation from it. Um, we're a small podcast, but we're trying to bring you um, guests that stoke up the fire, give us some good education in regards to health and well-being and looking after yourself and making sure you know you're, you're playing and, and celebrating your body and moving. Um, yeah, that's it. Short and sweet. Good night. God bless.